Hey everybody, we're back for the final episode of what's been a very exciting, epic season. I tell you what, it's always a little bittersweet when the season ends, but if it's going to end and we have to dwell on the fact that we won't get any new material for quite a while, at least we get to go out with a fantastic send-off. Would you agree that was an amazing episode? Oh, I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be boring this week, I didn't bother. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of spectacular imagery. Um, it's a bit like uh, a movie, huh? It's Game of Thrones gets closer and closer to being a yeah. like the TV's the bridge between TV and movie. Just I think it. I've said this many times. The quality of TV in general is just moving up. Yeah, it's quality of movies going down. Uh, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> <laughs> it, might, it might be, <laughs> but you just get more time. You know, you just get hours and hours of character development, plot yeah. intrigue, in, as opposed to two hours. You know, maybe maybe I should be giving extra credit to movies for doing it in merely two hours. Um, and I, I had a friend point out to me this this thought he has that uh, it makes sense for movies to be these big visual spectacles like what we're getting a lot of now. Because that's what's cool in a theater for two hours. But but if you want deep character development, if you really want to get an intricate plot and some interesting characters, well, you get a TV show. And I think that uh, Game of Thrones is also getting some <laughs> some big spectacles. <laughs> Remember when we got to see the, uh, was it the Hard Home episode at the yeah. theater? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be awesome to see uh, Battle of the Bastards in a the theater. I wonder if, uh, no, we didn't see Hard Home in the theater. We saw... The, oh, the, wall. the wall, yeah, the, wall, the yeah. fight at the wall, which yeah. was pretty damn epic. Yeah, <laughs> that was good. So, a couple of notes before we get into the plot analysis. This episode is also a ten out of ten on IMDb, with uh, many, many more votes than a typical episode gets afterwards. So it may very well stick at a ten. A lot of times they drop off a little bit as the excitement dies down. But I'm guessing this one will be another ten, which is really, really incredible to have. Not only just to have an episode that raises a perfect 10, but to have two, and to have two in a row. I mean, yeah. damn. <laughs> and they're both directed by the same guy. They typically have five directors in a season, each doing a pair of episodes. That's not, that's not how they did it from the beginning, I don't think, but that's been the pattern for at least a few seasons. And this is the same director who did the, A Battle of Hard Home. So a lot of people calling him... The real king in the north, because <laughs> he sure does the filming and the directing quite well. British gentleman named Miguel Sapochnik. So, Mary, keep remember that name. If you weren't aware of it already, well, it's going to be hard to forget now, isn't it? So, yeah, there's a lot to, lot to talk about. There was so much resolution, so much death, so much just epic things in general, so many incredible shots. Really, to me, the thing that stood out the most was the music because you know you can't it's hard to put one scene above all the others like there were so many different you can look at stuff with Cersei you can look at stuff with Danny you can look at stuff in the north I don't know which is more epic than the others they're all really amazing and then there's some smaller bits like the the old town and the citadel and the, the the library there that was just fantastic so it's kind of hard to pick out like I'm sure we all have our favorite moments for me it's a little challenging but the music was just amazing all the way through it's always been really good it just they just beefed it up a, a lot more and made it more prominent and that's part of why it feels a little more like a movie because it was more like movie music where it was really just dominant and in the front like it was a part of every, like so many scenes and when it wasn't part of the scene like when Tommen jumped there was no music 
you could feel that too. Just the lack of music was really telling. And it created a good contrast. Yeah, uh, yeah. I even took note right before the episode even began. The the recap even was a different style and tone, You're which right. a big part of that was the music. Uh, I I'm trying to remember for sure if I think there must have been some some speech, some dialogue in the recap. But I feel like for extended portion of the beginning of it was just imagery and music, whereas typically someone's talking over the imagery. But, yes. Uh, it was, uh, I, for a minute, I wasn't even sure if it was the episode was starting. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> really for Game of Thrones? It was like What's such a different on? style. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it kept through the, the music, the prominence of the music, and I think it might have been a new song or a couple new songs too. Um, but additionally, the style, that sort of cutting in the beginning back and forth between the different characters getting prepared for the trial, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Was, <laughs> was a, a little bit different. I can't think. I'm sure they've probably been through the seasons one or two moments similar to that, but I, I feel like it stood out, and it was also an interesting way to, kind of encapsulate the the characters. You know, uh, the difference between, all the the garb and pomp of the the royalty versus the sparrow just, just putting on this putting on his know, burlap sack, burlap sack. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it added a little bit to the gravity of the situation too because uh, you kind of knew it was coming i mean there was no yeah. surprise the blowing up of the sept there was maybe a little doubt that someone would stop it maybe lancel's gonna stop it didn't seem i don't, I don't <coughs> suppose most people were, were really counting on that i think almost everyone expected the sept to blow up which is why the buildup was so important and why it was, you know, and it worked. Like, they built it up in a way like, we know it's coming, but holy crap, is it really coming? It's like, if you critically, you're like, yeah, this is going to happen. But, like, emotionally, like, wow, is it really going to happen? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely going to happen. Holy crap, it's really, really going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and the music just, like, set that tension so well. The piano notes just... This is so, yeah, it just, like, builds the tension, which you kind of need when you know it's coming, but it's also, like... When something that big happens, even when you know it's coming, it's it just still hits you really hard. Like, holy crap, the High Sparrow's dead, Marjorie's dead, Loris is dead, uh, you know, <laughs> Kevin notes, is dead, Mace Tyrell is dead. It's like, jeez. Yeah, it was a lot to absorb. I, uh, I think it's the most notes, the busiest my notes have ever been, the most lines and notes and squiggles. <laughs> and I, it's the most X's. I, you know, whenever an episode <laughs> happens, the character dies, I X them out of my page. It's the most. I don't think I was taking notes like this for uh, the Red Wedding. Mm -mm, no. I, I think we actually did. I think it was the first podcast I did was for that episode. Oh, okay. But I don't think it. I think it was just audio. We didn't have visual. We did also but, had uh, didn't do season four. We just did or season three. We just did the Red Wedding. Yeah. For that season. Yeah. yeah. We had our first full season was season four doing reviews. Yeah. But if I had done the Red Wedding, I still don't know if it would have had. Would have had as many exes. Not nearly as many, because yeah. most of the people that died were, like, it was the army that was getting slaughtered. That was the majority of the death. Yeah. Obviously, Rob, Characters Catelyn, named. Grey Wynn, and a bunch of, like, you know, supporting lords who weren't really well-named. Like, they weren't given, you know, they, you knew they were part of Rob's party, but they hadn't been, we didn't get to know them. Yeah. You know, so they were they were important, but it was really just Rob, Catelyn, and, and Grey Wynn, to a lesser extent. So yeah, you're right. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of uh, Talisa. Talisa. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Talisa. Yeah, absolutely. Forgot about her. Uh, yeah, she was certainly important. <coughs> I just yeah, as, as a book reader, I'd forgotten about her. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so really was huge. She uh, played by Dre in the book. <laughs> <laughs> forgot about Talisa Dre. Uh, uh, I yeah, want to say was... about the beginning, by the way. Uh, uh, sort of a I don't know how to say this. Uh, sort of filmmaking note. Uh, 
I think I might have mentioned this one time in the past on some episode, but there's this idea in cinematography or filmmaking or directing, editing even. By the way, the editor should get a lot of credit for this too. Um, yes. A lot of times, there's a lot of different ways to entertain. There's a lot of different ways to get someone's attention or to draw someone into a story. And a lot of times it's with intensity and action. You know, Michael Bay, action movies, stuff like that, right? Uh, which sometimes, you know, I, I I tend to not like or care. You know, kind of big, cheesy action kind of stuff. But the fact is, it's popular and successful. There's something to that. And uh, mm-hmm. and, and there's effort and talent goes into it as well. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to, like, as we saw from last week, mm-hmm. from last week as in the Battle of the Bastards, the amount of effort it took to make that yeah. scene, or that, that episode was incredible. There's also dialogue, lots of dialogue and you know, intriguing characters, talkative characters, you know, like uh, Better Call Saul or, you know, Quentin Tarantino-style <laughs> movies, stuff like that. Sure. But another way is with s- slowness, pacing, dead space, emptiness. One thing that does is it gives the viewer, and some people just don't have the patience for this, but I really like it because it gives you time to think. You start thinking mm-hmm. about these characters, why they're showing me these images, noticing details of the wardrobe which once again lots of effort credit to go into that yes Uh, well you know what what you feel about the things that are happening what reflecting on what's happened where you think it's going to go these moments of of you know near silence of these characters getting dressed they're getting ready you're getting ready also Mm -hmm. you know and yes (laughs) and by drawing that out it gives us time to like consider what's coming what might happen, what we want to happen, why it's happening, how these characters feel about what's happening. Uh, I really loved it. I really loved yeah. the intro to this. this and the, the little details were too. Were kind of showing us what's coming. You see, <laughs> you see, you see Gregor stop Tommen from leaving. It's like, oh man, it's just like the slow build. It's like the slow burn. And all of a while, that candle is going down. You realize that we don't see the candles until they're already near the end. But that was a particularly nice touch. I thought it's like a fuse, like a time bomb, and. I don't remember ever seeing anything like it. Like, I, as you all know, probably, I've been around this fandom since 2001 or so, and I've never seen the idea of candles used as, like, a fuse for wildfire, which was great. That was really smart. It's really, in retrospect, it's like, actually, that's kind of obvious, but never heard of it before. No, one, be I've never seen anyone, any of the fan, any, any forums or anything. I've never seen anyone mention that. To be fair, I don't know if it's completely obvious. You gotta be a brave motherfucker to be the one to set that candle. <laughs> well, I mean, it's an obvious. Well, yeah, I see what you're saying. I just mean it's like an obvious like device. In I guess respect. those uh, those guys. The what do they call each other? I forgot the on it. The they had a word for each other. I don't know if they ever said it in a show, but I just just read it in a book. Uh, the monks that handled the wildfire. They had a name. Oh, for the pyromancers. Each other. Right, but there was a word they called each other. Tyrion thought that it was kind of pompous. Oh, they're like the wisdom. Ones wisdoms? Like the wisdom or, yeah, they come to the wisdoms, wisdoms or something wisdom like Ross that. Wisdom Rossart. Yeah. 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 Uh, they were pretty bold with the torch, you know, around the wildfire. Maybe yep. they're really good. I don't know. Maybe they... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like, dude, lantern. Keep that flame inside. Yeah. You know, it's not that hard. I know lanterns exist in this world. We've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> we saw one in season one. <laughs> uh, so, a few notes before we... Like I said, before we get truly into the details, we're going to do a wrap-up episode after this. We'll give you all a chance to ask some questions. We'll do a live episode next week, probably Monday. We'll announce it after, do you think Monday? Yeah, let's do it next Monday. We'll do the same, t- same time as usual. We'll post it and I'll you know, get people to, you can RSVP and see the time and all that. So we'll, we'll post an event in the description of this episode. 
back next Monday to take any questions that may have slipped through the, the cracks. Plus, frankly, as usual, you know, we're discussing this within less than 24 hours after it happens. Certainly we'll figure out some new things. Certainly some new ideas will come up, new theories. Certainly the things that will come up and majorly will be people will think through what's next more. We've already yeah. thought through a lot of things that are coming next, and we'll be sharing that with you throughout this episode. But no doubt we'll have new ideas. I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. There's just, that always happens. So also we'll be covering some of that stuff in the Book to Show episode on Wednesday. And But but for anything else that's up through the cracks, if you're not a book reader and you don't want to be spoiled on any of that stuff, Monday we'll be back with Q&A live. A lot of fun. We'll wrap things up even more than we will today. So there'll certainly be some things else to talk about. All right. Well, let's get into specifics. Let's talk <coughs> about... We'll start with the trial. That's where the episode basically starts. We can, we can talk about it all here. It jumps around a bit, but we can focus on that. One more thing before we get into it. Is there, sure. Is there a name you need to mention? A name I need to mention? A patron? A, uh, a character? Oh, of course. Yes, I do. Yes, I'm so excited to talk about this episode. Thanks for the reminder. I have to give a quick shout out to Lord Mark Snow, the or Lord Mark Joseph, rather, the snow in Winterfell, and his dragon, Mazalakartho, a green and white dragon who is growing rapidly. Maybe not in time to face Daenerys' dragons if it comes to that, but hey, we'll see. Also, to Lord Rory, the tamer of the last of Valyria and rider of the dragon Vrathrais, a silver gold dragon with purple trim. Very cool dragon that looks like ancient Valyria itself. And also to Jeff Gnarly, the Long Snapper, our History of Westeros Patreon first sword, very generous supporters there on Patreon. If you want to help out the show and get a nickname like that, just check us out at historyofwesteros.com. Patreon links on the right sidebar. Lots of titles, lots of other bonuses and benefits to joining as we move off of this season into book material. There will be plenty of opportunity for new topics. So, thanks for the reminder there, Sean. <laughs> Definitely just my head is spinning from the episode. I've just I've watched it several times already, watched it right again right before this. So busy taking notes. Yeah, forgetting about my business. Sorry guys. Alright, well, let's keep going. So, yeah, the trial, the trial is is where we start. Like you said, we see a bunch of different scenes of them getting ready. Really sets the stage, sets the mood. You really just start to dawn on you what's really happening, that it's really, really gonna happen. Cersei's unusual dress was the first hint that something big was going to happen. Not that there weren't other hints, but as far as in the episode itself, that was like, whoa, what's this about? She's wearing black. This is totally different for her. It looked almost like armor, too. A little yeah. bit, yeah, yeah. And there's like the shoulder pads especially, they were like, that looked, it looked pretty thin. But it, yeah, it had the qualities of like faux armor. But yeah, it looked like she was ready for battle in a sense. But it wasn't battle in the traditional sense. Battle in the fray sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Defeating your enemies yeah, without lifting yeah. a sword. There you go. Very true. In fact, that's a good point. There's a lot of things in that fray scene that refer to what's happening with Cersei. We'll get to those later, but there's a lot of parallels there. So it's crazy too to think about the way way there was tension and there was a lot of, despite knowing what was coming, there were still a lot of surprises in the execution of it all. For and we didn't know for sure that everyone would die in the Sept. I mean, we're not like we didn't. I predicted the likelihood of Marjorie, Loras, the High Sparrow. But I wasn't super confident that all of them would die. I was like, yeah, High Sparrow's almost certainly getting it. Loras doesn't look good for Loras. Marjorie's pretty clever. She might, you know, 
figure something out. Well, she did, but too little too and late. Incidentally, Marjorie, <laughs> on top of it again, she seems like even more so than Elena. She's the one that always really knows what's going on and what to do. I really like the way they wrote her dialogue there, too. She was a really just a really eloquent way to make the point. Like, Cersei, understand, is not here, which means she... And she knows the consequences, and she's still not showing up, which means she does not intend to suffer the consequences. Yeah, like, something's up. That was a very succinct way to put it. I was like, And I feel like on some her. level, the Sparrow was, was hearing it. He didn't know how to respond, but he was like, it was registering in his mind, like, yeah, she might be right. Uh, what do I do? You know, he was like, nah, don't worry about it. And then he didn't order the guards to keep everyone there. They just kind of did that because that's so kind that's of the default. What, right, that's kind yeah. of what their expectation is. Like, he didn't give the order. She, yeah, we, she doesn't give us orders. You know, she's telling everyone to leave. Like, no, that doesn't work that way. You could, yeah. In the behind the episode, it's it's pointed out that by Jonathan Price himself, the actor who plays the High Sparrow, he's he's he starts to real, or maybe it was him, maybe it was one of the showrunners that he realizes it at the very very last moment. He kind of dawns on him. He kind of looks in his mouth. He's very expressive. He's a great actor, and you can see how it went from she. He scoffs at her at first. And then as the scene progresses, and it all plays out very quickly, he goes to, he starts to show a little doubt, and then the truth of it registers that, that you know, maybe at some level he thought Marjorie's messing with him a little bit too. Like, yeah. you know, he's like, no, I'm not, you know, no one's taking me off this course. But it was too late. <laughs> By the way, I was quite surprised, even though I was fully expecting a fire, most likely in King's Landing, most likely this episode, most likely disrupting the trial. I still thought it was going to be a distraction. I thought she would set the sept on fire and, oh, no, we can't have the trial, and Jamie would come back, and there would be some other confrontation get put off. I didn't think everyone was just going to get killed there, except <laughs> I did not think that. I, I thought, and to the extent I thought that might happen, I thought it might be even more extreme. I thought maybe the whole city would burn down. Um the throne room and everything, you know? Yeah. I mentioned how Getting we, out of control. It could have gotten right. out of control. I mentioned yeah. how we'd seen in Visions from Melisandre and Bran of the throne room being snowed on, roof gone. So I thought, well, maybe the whole city will burn. And I said, I thought maybe Cersei will just like evacuate King's Landing and go back to Castle Rock and the whole city will just be burned. I didn't think it would be so many characters being killed. I did, I did not think it was going to be quite like It that. went off perfectly, basically, for her. Like, <clears throat> Marjorie figured it out, but she figured it out too late. And... Well, it didn't go out perfectly because of what happened to Tommen. As far as the Great Sept, yeah. the, the aftermath didn't go perfectly at all. The the plan to blow up the Sept worked perfectly. Let's <laughs> just, in a nutshell, that did. But yeah, the, the consequences afterwards were not 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 at all what she expected. And that's obviously huge. But yeah, as far as the plan itself, yeah, just perfect. Um, and there's some extra scenes tied to this that are relevant before the moment with Tommen, which is Kyburn killing Grandmaster Pycelle, which seemed a little odd to me because Pycelle was just getting ready to go to the trial and he would have just burned with everybody else. But maybe Kyburn wanted this. You know, he says, I bear you no ill will, uh, but he still seemed to take a little pleasure in that moment. So I, 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 because he would have certainly died if he had gone to the trial, I feel like this was like a reward. It's also hard to know the timing. He might not have died if he went to the trial. He also might have been preparing to go see Cersei or... Uh, like he might not have got there in time, might have blown up before he got there. That's true, but why would... But they clearly planned that ahead of time. And it's not like they had predicted that he would have been late to the trial. He was definitely going there. He says, right, I'm, right. I'm going to the trial. I'm late for the trial or whatever. 
Oh, he told that to. The... Well, the, yeah, he was on his way. That's why he was getting dressed. He's, yeah. And he and he's when he walks down the stairs, they're like Grand Maester. You know, the little bird comes yeah. in and tells him that Tommen wants to see him. And that's why he's like, "Where is the king?" You know, I was told that. Ah, oh, never mind. I'm not going to waste time talking to you. So anyway, that's a really small. I point, just hadn't though. thought about it. It hadn't occurred to me why they bothered killing him. I think it was, was a reward because I think we were seeing her two top servants getting rewarded. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, he gets to be handed a queen, which is really big. That's another reward. But before that, it's like, this is, you know, you get to kill Pycelle. It's just yeah. like Gregor got his really, really gruesome reward of Septa Supreme there. Uh, so, and those scenes were close together, so I thought maybe that's what it was. But Cersei was, like, rewarding her to... Hmm. I don't know. That's that's the best I can come up with. Other than that, it might just be, like, a small plot hole. But I, I don't care. It's just, a, it was noteworthy, but not worth, like, getting and spending a lot of time on. Uh, so... Yeah, speaking of Gregor and Septa Supreme, giving her the wineboarding there treatment, um, that seen that phrase tossed around, one of our friends that we watched it with threw that term out right when it happened. I thought that fit really well. And it's uh, maybe the darkest scene of the episode. <laughs> There's yeah. so many in a scene, an episode with lots of brutality, lots of like focus on the blood, like they really let us see. Pycelle's stabbing. They really showed us Walter Frey's neck. There was a real, there was a lot they of, really it really showed Loris' forehead getting ripped Yeah, it was gory. <laughs> I mean, it was over, the gore was, was pretty intense, even though it was overshadowed by just the amazingness of the episode in general. But yeah, just reflecting on that, it's like, <laughs> there's a bit, a bit of that, a bit of gore. So, yeah, um, that was really <laughs> dark. What do you think he was doing, what do you think he's doing with her? You think he was like, just, is he raping her? I don't know. It was really, it wasn't yeah. clear. I assume that he was going to, it seemed to be like, it, 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 we've been told how Gregor has raped many times in the past. Uh, I don't know if a zombie still can or wants to. Exactly. I'm like, uh, can he even do that? Like, yeah. I don't even really want to think about and it. She was, <laughs> and she was like screaming and screaming as the door shut, but he still like had all his armor, wasn't, he was still at her side. And he's just kind of standing so over her. Maybe, maybe he was, he reaching, was just he was torturing her, her, punishing her. Maybe he was like crushing his thumb into one of her eyes or smashing her fingers or, you know, I can imagine even if he doesn't rape her, he could still torture her. Enough. Yeah. Uh, but he can't kill her because she said, like, I'm going to let you live a long time. Day, so right. so you can imagine her just, like, snapping her fingers. Something that's not know. necessarily going to kill her. Yeah, just yeah. something that's really painful. Things would be very painful, but not deadly. Whatever Gregor is doing, I don't really need to know. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just say it's horrible. <laughs> it's terrible. And it's one of those examples of, like, you know, your humanity really comes out when you see, like, like we all, nobody liked that character. No one's like, yay, Septa Supreme, she's great. You know, you don't, but it, it just comes back. You're like, yeah, but I don't want her to be tortured. You know, even yeah, like, yeah. even Ramsey, I didn't want Ramsey to be tortured to death. I didn't think being torn apart by the hounds was so bad as an ending for him. But I didn't want, like, his, his pain to linger and him to be drawn out. Like, if anyone's going to suffer that, may as well be Ramsey. But... It's never, it doesn't feel like justice when that happens, you know? Of course, Cersei's yeah. not about justice. She's totally about revenge. She even says that. She's like, it feels good to do these things. It feels good to torture you. And she, I think, as, as awful as it is, Cersei pointing out the hypocrisy of Septa Supreme was totally on point. I have so many things to say here. <laughs> I, I, my mind is just like, I'm going to forget all the different things I want to say. Let me get one quick one out. Sure. Cersei's revenge here, right? Pretty, pretty gruesome, pretty terrible. Uh, the last person you want to be having pretty well executed. Taken, yeah. Now, Cersei, generally speaking, I feel like has fumbled a lot. Does that make sense? Uh, so sometimes she's been maybe clouded by emotions or made decisions that are short-sighted. Uh, sometimes she's uh, just makes some, some bad plans and bad decisions, just doesn't think forward. But she's still got all this 
revenge stuff down pretty well, right? Mm-hmm. Elena seems to be a little bit better of a plotter than Cersei, <laughs> and she's out for revenge. What is, oh my god, Cersei's yeah. in trouble. Cersei's in huge <laughs> trouble, yeah. I mean, I, that's something we'll need to talk about a little more. Um, well, we can talk about it now. I really wonder what's what's next for her, because it looks like... If you look at it on paper, she doesn't stand a freaking chance against Danny's army. Like, she, Danny's got this massive armada with dragons. And Wait, Olena or Cersei? Cersei. Yeah. I mean, especially with Olena being part of, like, Olena, Olena isn't taking on Cersei by herself, as we know. She's got, <laughs> she's joined with the Dornish and with Daenerys, even more importantly, to take to attack Cersei. So that's, whoa, like that, like, how is Cersei going to, it seems like she might just get rolled over. So I feel like there's more to it. I don't think it can be that easy. So well, my only guess is that Euron is going to partner up with her. Because Euron's opportunity to, to team up with Danny perhaps is already gone because Theon yeah, and Yara yeah. talked her out of it. And they told him, told her what a terrible guy Euron is. And I don't suppose that that, that that was probably convincing enough. Especially since they're already with her. Here's a couple things. I, I hadn't considered that. That's a good thought. Uh, and I wasn't even thinking so much of how Cersei's going to fight off Danny, But here are some thoughts on it. She might not. She, she's got her revenge. She's secured her power. She might be happy going back to King's Landing. Fine, Danny, you can you can have the Seven Kingdoms. I really, I, really not, don't think I'll so. I'll just go back to, I think I said King's Landing, meant Cashley Rock. Yeah, I really, uh, really don't think so. Cersei wants power. She's always wanted to be the queen. Like, yeah. she's always wanted to have this power. And that's why she reacted. The moment she lost her power is the moment she set in this plan to kill everyone. Yeah. So I really, really, really don't think that's the case. She wants power, and I don't, do not so, think anything's going to make her set this aside. Not anything? Because that's my other thing, is that what by the time... Da- well, zombies! What if the winter comes and zombies are outside King's Landing and Cersei's like, oh my god, I wasn't ready for all this. Well, why would that make her give up the throne, though? Danny might show up and save everyone, including her. They sure. might be allies against the zombies. Yeah, I mean, she may just be put in a, pers- in a spot where she knows that she's got no chance to regain the throne. She's lost yeah. it, but I don't. But she's not going to voluntarily step aside because someone else comes along and is a, doing a better job. You know what I mean? She might step aside because someone comes along with dragons and burns the city down and says, "Hey, step aside." Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if she has no choice, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But that wouldn't be stepping aside. Yeah, that would be <laughs> forced aside. <laughs> Um, but, and, and especially because Tyrion <coughs> hates Cersei and Tyrion is Danny's hand of the queen. There's not, that's not going to, there's, that's not going to go well. Tyrion's not going to be like, show mercy on her. And I don't yeah. even know that Jamie's going to show mercy on Cersei at this point. Like yeah, Jamie, we don't understand the, the, the full, like Jamie's sitting there seeing her take the throne. He must be like, I mean, his first thought's got to be. Well, first he saw the Great Sept blow up, and he doesn't quite understand what's happened there. He, surely he knows that people are dead. He doesn't necessarily know that Cersei did it. He probably suspects it, but he's got to be immediately thinking, what happened to Tommen? Like, if you're sitting on the throne, that means Tommen's dead. So what? I can't imagine he made it to the throne room without finding out Tommen's dead. You can imagine mm. the yeah, king's uncle walks through the whole city, and no one says there aren't bells well, tolling. He, or... he rushed there, yeah. you know, and the bell was destroyed. There is yeah, no bell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe that. I mean, she's still wearing the same outfit. So this all happens in one day, basically. Yeah. So I said. So, so I'm not sure that Jamie would know. He might know. It would be. It would make sense to know, but I yeah. wouldn't assume it because he just like he sees the sept and it's clear he just rushes straight to the throne room. He not may not speak to. Talk, Even if talk, he does know, the quickness with which Cersei's having herself crowned might still be. Yeah, it's alarming. Yeah. Either way, and his look. His look was. Her look was particularly enigmatic. His was like. What the hell is going on yeah. here? It's just because he has not had time to digest the full scope of what's happened. He doesn't even know. He doesn't know who's dead yet. He, yeah. He's probably like, well, Tom is probably dead. 
shit, well, what else happened? Like, wait, yeah. where are the Tyrell? Like, what's going on? He's really just coming into the situation new, kind of new <laughs> with, like, it's got to be shocking. And that I feel like that will be, we're set up. We're kind of back, in a way, we're kind of back to where we started. With the Starks, the Lannisters, and Daenerys. Yeah. And... Yeah. Kind of refocus on these central characters. It's a little more clear with perspective who the main characters are. Yeah. Who really has plot armor? And Daenerys, <laughs> right now, I'm sure she's gonna face be faced with some conflict because it can't just be her rolling over everybody fighting and then getting to fight the Walkers just like that. I'm sure there's got to be some conflict in between. But right now, she seems to be pretty well set as far as internal her internal organization. She doesn't have there's no infighting right now, you know. But right now, Jamie's gonna be pissed at Cersei. And Sansa and Jon might have issues too. That's being set up yeah, a bit as yeah. well. So there's, so we're back to the Game of Thrones is sort of being pushed to the side. It's more going to be about outright war. But the Game of Thrones is still happening on that scale within these houses. It's not like different houses competing for the throne. I mean, they are, but they're not competing politically. They're competing militarily now. Yeah. Uh, but there is still some power struggle going on. Not that Jaime is going to like off Cersei and take the kingship for himself. You know, but he's clearly not going to be happy with what happened. You know, he's going to have issues with Cersei. And who knows how that's going to go. <laughs> I, I think that he'll stick with her, whatever. I think he, however upset he might be, he'll be like, well, that's, it is what it is. What, yeah. what do I, where should my armies go now? You know, he might, he may very well. He may go down with a ship. He may be like, well, what else is there for me to do? Am I going to switch sides? You know, am I going to go join Daenerys? I mean, would she even have me? <laughs> you know, well, Tyrion making the point, maybe. Maybe that could work out. And that's another question that is hard to answer. Daenerys talking about who she might marry eventually. It's the whole, this is the problem with, even on a show this big, like, this is a problem with a lot of shows. Is when someone's like, who's it going to be? Whenever there's like, who's it going to be? Like, who did it? Or who is going to save this person. You can pretty much figure it out based on the fact that the cast is only a certain size. And you can't just invent new people to come to the rescue at the last second. Whenever you're thinking about who can come save the main character, there's, you know, who's going to save Luke Skywalker? It had to be Han Solo, right? Yeah. Like, in retrospect, like, who else could it have been? Like, some random new character? Like, that would have been silly. So we all know, <laughs> when we think about the possibilities for who Daenerys can marry... She says, maybe nobody. That's just, I think what they're doing there is they're trying to wide broaden the possibilities when there really aren't that many, to be, to be frank. John, Jamie, that's a stretch. John's not a stretch, but it's, it's a little too clean and simple. And like Tyrion himself is another possibility. And he, there's even a slight, you know, there was a little tension in that moment. Not from her, but from, but from Tyrion. When they're sitting there together, and right before she names him Hand, he says... You know, many people, you know, he loved you for real, whatever. Many more people will do that. And then she stands up, and he's still just staring into that spot where she was sitting. And then when she starts speaking again, he kind of snaps out of it. And is like, are you falling in love with her? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that'll be reciprocated, but, yeah, I could see it. I mean, she's obviously got that effect on people, you know, like super powerful, super beautiful, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not, it's not a surprise for someone to fall for that, you know. But... I wonder if that's just a way to expand the possibilities as well when we're just really just headed straight for a John Danny thing, even though they're related, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's just speculation, and that's going to be something that's going to come up next season. And It also presupposes that she has to marry someone. Right, I mean, That's and she said that. She doesn't have to marry anybody. So, Like, maybe she does, but she doesn't have to do it 
before the show ends. Right. That doesn't have to be a thing that's resolved in order for the show to finish. It's almost more what I'm it, hoping for because I don't want her to marry John. I think that's just too like too cheesy for yeah, them. Just, you know, that's yeah. a, I, I think a lot of people are expecting it or yeah. hoping for it, and uh, I'm not inherently not hoping for it, but I'm kind of not hoping for it because it seems too easy. Does that make yes, sense? Yes, yes. I definitely would prefer something else. <clears throat> okay, so... More to say about the trial. I'm sure there's a few more things we could say there. Um, what are some more thoughts you have? Well, I got a lot to think together, about. Right? Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> see if you can figure uh, out where you were. Well, one quick thought is, uh, going way back to when I first said that, was uh, uh, the Septim might just be shrieking at the the monster of Gregor. Even if he doesn't even touch her, just awful. the abomination of him might be horrifying to her. Um, that was one little quick thought I had. Uh, let me think. I, I was thinking another thing about John. And, oh, the idea that there could be another character for Danny to fall in love with and marry. Yeah. Uh, my default is against it, but I want to consider the potential is there. Think how prominent and distinct and popular a character Oberon became in one season. Yeah, that's true. So I think if you, I think they could, they have two more seasons, right? Mm, yeah, they have more, more than a full season. I think it could happen. It it does seem like it would have to be a character who's been mentioned at least at some point to to rise to that position, but uh, but I, I don't want to close the close the door to the potential of a new character rising. That yeah, maybe it'll be, be Sam's brother. He was handsome and yeah, yeah. accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> some other warrior on the wall, a wildling Tormund. Tormund and Danny, yes, <laughs> Denermund, <laughs> Tornaris. <laughs> Tormund rides a dragon. <laughs> <coughs> Probably not. Probably not. But oh, that'd be cool. The Wyndham Wizard riding a dragon. <laughs> uh, one, one thing to think about as far as that goes. This may, maybe we should focus more on like what happened in this episode and speculating in the future. But there is a difference between uh, her marrying someone, and her falling in love with someone. Yeah. So there could be someone that might make a lot of sense for her to marry politically, but she might also fall in love with someone. Now she might also fall in love with someone and marry that person. Like lots of rules are out the window at this point. You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. That's true. Well, we've been talking about Danny, so we may as well go that in that direction. We've kind of well. Wait, no. You have no, more I to say about King's Landing. Landing. Okay, keep going. One, one thing I wanted to say for the whole episode, but a lot of it, it, it was while watching when I was rewatching it in King's Landing with the Septa uh, and Cersei. There, I started to think about this sort of theme of the episode, and I started to realize it's sort of a theme of the whole show: punishment fitting the crime. Mm. I was thinking about that scene with Cersei, and she's got the Septa later when it first started. I was like. Oh, in my mind, as, 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 uh, 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 at least a streak of like joy or excitement or you know some sort of feeling of vindication for Cersei here. I was like, that Septa's gonna get what she's got coming to her. And then I started to think, wait, what did she do? Cersei is a terrible villain, and the, <laughs> and she, the torture she got was nothing compared to people like. Sansa and, and, and Theon and other people have been through so much worse for having done so much less. Cersei, you know, but still I felt a, a positive note of Cersei getting revenge here. Hmm. Does that make sense? Interesting. And then, and, and then as Cersei goes through and kind of explains herself, I kind of wonder, am I, I'm, I'm thinking, am, am I as a viewer or, as, as, or other viewers, the showrunner's intention we rooting for Cersei? Are we supposed to feel like, yeah, Cersei getting her revenge, you know? Mm. For the same, when Cersei got printed down the street, people throwing stuff at her, feet all bladed up, as villainous as she is, you still felt bad for her there. 
You know, yep. the punishment exactly. wasn't fitting the crime. Although someone might argue that her punishment, she killed a bunch of babies. You know what I mean? Like, what punishment does fit that crime? If you think about what punishment someone deserves for murdering babies, you probably like, wouldn't you make them walk barefoot till their feet bleed? <laughs> but then when you see her walking barefoot till her feet bleed, you're like, oh, this is terrible. Does she really deserve this? And I feel this is happening in a lot of characters. Oh, it's yeah. a, a constant thing happening through the show. Someone doing something bad, being punished for it, then a punishment being more than you feel like they deserve. It might be a little. It might be a commentary on the cycle of violence and how it just you know. And you, you can't said, be vindictive. Like the justice needs to be non-vindictive. Like just kill, yeah. just execute Cersei. No, no p- punishment. No torture. Just kill her. Rid the world of her influence and be done with it. Like that's yeah. that to me is the cleanest form of justice. I thought Ramsay got off easy. I thought he got off easy. I thought he could have, should have been punished, tortured so much worse. You know what I mean? That said, I think it would have been dark for Sansa to be standing over him as his fingers get chopped or whatever. Like, I don't know if I want Sansa to be that dark. I don't know if I want Arya stabbing out the eyes of Marin Trent. That was really terrible Speaking what Arya did. Speaking of dark, Arya right? looked very, very pleased with herself for killing Walter. She did not look like that needed to be done. She was like, yeah, I got you. Revenge. She's she like, was, the she last thing you're going to see is a stark kind of smiling it. over you. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, I feel like Sansa hasn't gotten that dark, but we don't want, I don't think we want young, innocent girls to become dark, evil, vengeful, we don't want, yeah, torturous young monsters. young and innocent girls. We don't want anyone to be that way. Right, yes. <laughs> uh, you create a contrast. When yes. These, right. Um, but uh, as you said, though, you don't, you know, you kind of, Still don't want to, even though there's this justification maybe for yeah. Ram, for Ramsey getting terrible torture. You still don't necessarily want it. Sam, what was it? Not Sam. Ray. Ray. Swearingen. Mm-hmm. Remember he told the Hound. He's like, you don't cure a disease by spreading it to more people. You don't cure violence by enacting more violence. And yes. uh, and we yes. keep seeing people Point do it. that. <laughs> yes. And uh, and and as again as we see it, just this one up of revenge. What is Olena gonna do? You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. What is she gonna do? And she and as she puts it herself, <coughs> she has really doesn't have anything to lose. Yeah. She tells. She says to Alara, "It's like I'm not after survival." <laughs> you know. Yeah. And but that's the thing about Cersei. Cersei is after survival in a sense, but this is a huge change for her. She has all of her flaws as many as they are she is a loving mother her way of expressing love is plenty flawed there's plenty of criticisms you can make for how her mothering has gone but she has been very protective of her children in her own warped way she loves her kids or she loved loved her kids now and lena Headey says this herself she's like she's not cold she's not angry she's not hurt she's empty which is probably even more dangerous because yeah. she she's emotionless. She's maybe she was already, you know, well dispensed towards violence and, and brutal revenge and doing brutal things. Now it's just she may as well be pure sociopath. She doesn't have she pretty much has no feelings left. She doesn't she didn't even react to Tommen's death really. I mean she re, she she did. It was a, it was the lack of reactions very telling. It wasn't like they should have had her react more. It wasn't bad writing. It was that just shows how empty she is now. I think she, on some level, she's already gone through the reaction. She's already accepted it. At the beginning of the episode, it was the episode season. It was this season, right? She, yeah. Marcella's dead. She's like, process right. coming true. Part of her was prepared for it. Deep down, her subconscious <laughs> yeah. knew it was coming. 
I had supposed that maybe at that moment, <clears throat> after all she had been through, and her second child dying, that maybe she would turn over a new leaf. Maybe she would reevaluate who she was. I was trying to see the positive. I was trying to think that maybe Cersei would come out better somehow. But it seems like she's gone way the other way, like you said. There's just no reason for her to have any pretense of being good. She's not trying to set an example for her children. She's not trying to, like, preserve their legacy or anything. She is almost yeah. purely just nothing matters to her other than revenge. Maybe Jamie matters to her? I think Jamie probably still matters to her, but she's going to have... It's going to be harder for her to, like, you know, express love and be... You know, she's traumatized, not just by what happened, but what she did. She's traumatized by her own actions, probably. I mean, she's kind of crossed a line that, it's, you know, now she's always been a little paranoid. And now she's got more reasons to be paranoid. She's made so many enemies. You know, I didn't... All right, I, had a, I just had a thought. Okay. Jamie, I think, might turn on her. In fact, I, I'm going to say it. I think he is going to. I, I, it didn't occur to me, but she just did... Well, he killed the Mad King to yep. not do, you know. <laughs> and on one hand, he has this bond or connection to her, but he had a vow to the king. It, it just now occurred to me that it's I... It's history I was, repeating itself. It's really, really well done, I think, yeah. I yeah. totally agree with you, yeah. Um, yeah, she's... It's, he's seeing it all over again. The wildfire, you know, just violence and brutality instead of justice. Uh, some, someone being power-hungry and paranoid. Yep, he's seen it all before. It's yeah. got to be really, really painful for him. He's like, this is the thing that ruined my honor. I saved everyone, and no one knows I did it. And it ruined my it ruined my reputation forever, even though it was a pretty selfless thing to do. And even though it was wrong in some ways because of the whole perception of oaths, but it was still, you know, he saved a whole bunch of people's lives, and that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, now Cersei is just right back there like she is the mad queen like and and without maybe with with less madness but with more you know with just as much perhaps paranoia just as much brutality just as much you know there's just nothing much good you can say about her now you know she doesn't have any goodness left in her without her without being a mother she's just she is empty <laughs> and it's what's what she looks good in black she does look good in black. <laughs> <laughs> she looked pretty cool in that outfit. I liked it. I was like, whoa, what is up with that black dress thing? What is going on there? It's like she's already in mourning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I totally agree with you about Jamie. I think that is not <clears throat> unlikely. It might not be Danny that just rolls her over. It might be within, internal, the internal conflict that we were kind of yeah. speaking to before. Just like Sans and John may have some issues that's a little harder to see how that will play out, except for Littlefinger's influence seems to be crucial there. But this is more straightforward. I mean, Jamie has obvious reasons to be very against Cersei now. And yeah, <laughs> we'll have to see where it goes. We'll have to wait 10 months or so. <laughs> okay, so should we move on past King's Landing now? Uh, I'm sure yeah. if we uh, come up with some things, we can come back to it. But let's go, let's go north. Well, let's actually let's take a, a detour to the Riverlands with uh, the Frey stuff because that connect, there's this is kind of it's kind of a connecting point. It, it, a few things kind of make sense, a little more sense in retrospect. We were wondering why Jamie was bothering to go to the twins, why that needed to happen, but it made Arya's reveal a little more sneaky. If we just get like a random scene at the twins, it's like wait, what's happening here? It might have been telegraphing exactly what was going to happen. But with Jamie there talking to Walter Frey, it's a little sneakier. 
with Braun also, they you know they make him out to be this sort of playboy or whatever, and having the girls flirting or yeah. thing. You know, it, it gives us a reason to feature these other characters. And when they do three girls, it makes the one stand out less. Uh, That's true. That's very true. Now, Ashea and I were both <laughs> suspicious of that girl right away. She was like, "That kind of looks like Maisie Williams a bit," and I was like, "Yeah, you're right. It's the same kind of body type and frame and everything. You know, the right height and all that." So, we were we were keyed in right away. Also, we were. From trailer spoilers, we knew she was going to have a Riverland scene, so it was, you know, it wasn't so much that we figured it out. It was that we knew it was coming, and so it was, we were just looking for the clue. It was like, oh, there she is. But it was still really cool and chilling. And I like what Jamie said to Lord Walder, like, you know, we did your work for you. You know, he, it was actually very meaningful dialogue because it, it, it spoke to what, things that were happening elsewhere. Walder spoke about, isn't fear a wonderful thing, you know? And it's like exactly what Cersei is, is relying on right now. You know, it's like on one hand, she's done all these awful, awful things, and you think that people are going to, she's going to have a reckoning for that. People are going to come for her. People are going to want revenge. How can she hold on to power? Well, that's, this is one reason why she can hold on to power. First, she killed all, most of the, pretty much everyone that's nearby that was a, a threat to her power in the short term. And seeing what length she's able to go to and the capabilities she has, that's intimidating. That's ruling by fear. Like, that's textbook ruling by fear. Like, don't go against her. <laughs> she'll blow up your building or she'll send her Frankenstein at you. you she'll know? annihilate your family. Yeah, so it's that's really intimidating. And she'll catapult your kid over a castle wall. <laughs> so it does kind of make sense that you know, people would want to stand up to her, but they'd be very afraid of actually doing it, you know? And that that is what's happening. That is really well defined, I think, in this scene with Walder and Jamie, where he speaks to, you know, like, I didn't, you know, I, defeating my enemies, you know, I didn't have to lift a sword to do that. Cersei, same. Didn't have to lift a, didn't have to lift a, a sword to defeat her enemies. She, she pulled off quite the coup. It was very Red Wedding-like in a lot of ways. Lure all your enemies into one place and then just take them out, you know? In a dramatic fashion. Exploding wedding. Yeah, the green wedding. Or the green trial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the green trial. You heard the, it here first. The wild trial, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did. The green trial. You heard it here first. That's right. Okay, they call Joffrey's wedding the purple wedding. Right? Yes. Red, Red wedding, wedding, purple, purple wedding, wedding, green, green trial. trial. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It fits. So... <laughs> I don't know that there's as much to unpack in this in this Walder scene. It's very it's cool, but it, it's mostly it's really a lot of what they're saying is really about King's Landing, what's happening there. Because Walder obviously dies a few minutes later, and his rule by fear is done. So you wonder, in a sense, though, what's going to happen in the Riverlands? That the Freys are dead. I don't know. Like in the books, there's a bunch of Freys. He has a ton of kids, but yeah, it looks like that's say. it. I don't think so. I think in the show they also talked about yeah, you're right. all his in-laws and relatives in trying to marry one. off, how many sons he has and grandsons. They talk about it a lot. Yeah, you're right. So, there got to be some more phrase. Right. So I, I, that was even a thought that went through my head because we know that at least those two sons, whatever, I, I sort of assume he has other sons. Like he just kept marrying younger women, right? Like I assume he's got more sons. Those are just his oldest or his first or whatever. Yeah. So I can imagine... He might even have grandsons. Right. He should yeah. have grandsons. He has grandsons. I, 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 There's a ton I, I, in the books. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, but I, I'm pretty sure that they said that also in the show earlier okay. seasons. Yeah. So. I, I, as usual, I occasionally get them so, show and book mixed up. <laughs> so I, it was something I thought about was I wonder if there will be some other character who just defaults to being next. Someone who's more powerful, more assertive, or more charismatic. Uh, someone in the right place at the right time. Or if it will break down into fighting and feuding. And if so, if that opens a window for some other character 
come in and take power or seize the twins. Yeah. Uh, the twins is this key location. This Very. might be a vulnerable moment. The Brother Without Banner said they're heading north, but I wonder, do they have to go through the twins to get north? It doesn't uh, go through it, but they'll pass by. They might pass yeah. near it. They might hear word. Maybe it's mm-hmm. not important enough to them. Uh, I'm not sure, but anyway, I, I, maybe some new freight leader will step up and be the Oberon of season seven, and Danny will fall in love. <laughs> or maybe, yeah, maybe he won't be such a crappy friend. Maybe he'll be like a good friend yeah. for once, you know, because yeah. that's, you know, that's something they weren't able to spend time on. In the books, as I said, there's a ton of Freys, and a couple of them are pretty decent guys. You know, they're not all just like like his, like their father. They're not all McPoyles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few good McPoyles, even. <laughs> so, that, that actually, the Arya stuff and, and talking about what's next for her is a great segue to the first scene in the North which is Melisandre being accused of burning Shireen, which she doesn't deny. This scene reminded me so much of Daenerys sending Jorah away. Yeah, yeah. It's really similar that, yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, the, the crime they commit is different, but it's a, a very serious crime in both cases. And both in both cases, they have clearly... There's no danger of either of them being disloyal from that point forward. They're sent off for past crimes. Very bad crimes. I'm not excusing the crimes. Jorah's crime was treason you know melisandre burned a little girl alive you know she makes a good point a good quote-unquote good point that it wasn't all her that you know shireen or that stannis and salise were both for it well salise kind of backed out at the last second but you know she was for it for a while there and that is a horrible thing to do but in the scheme of things like the way people just get killed all the time i don't you know I, I remember at that moment, it's, it's a tough position to defend, but you think about, you know, there's this uh, personal knowledge and relationship uh, of us and these characters, and these characters and each other. Davos yeah. even says, I love that girl like my own. He's very emotional and connected. But if you keep in mind this much bigger perspective, we've seen Melisandre is 100-something super old. She's been through a lot. She's seen a lot. And she, in her mind, has these visions of the future, which include much bigger things than this one little girl. Like, sorry, but remember Robert, Pycelle, Varys, Littlefinger, they all wanted to kill a little girl too, right? Yep. And they all <laughs> defended it to Ned, and Ned just couldn't take it. And we're on Ned's side, but it's so easy to be the righteous one when you're not, when you're not the one trying to run the country. You don't you know? suffer any consequences for your right. opinion yeah, and, <laughs> or your decision. And yeah. to that end... It's not that Melisandre burned this... Well, let me say. On some level, she burned this girl in order for Stannis to succeed, to fulfill the prophecy, to, to find the true king. But also, keep in mind, there's another thing that was happening here. What if, what if there were just an army traveling and he wasn't the one true king? What if, there, what if it wasn't that Melisandre was wrong about this prophecy? What if this wasn't a prophecy in the first place and there was just this army traveling? She does have real power. We saw that baby get birth. We've seen the predictions with the leeches. Some of these maybe could be justified or coincidence, but it seems to be where she really was old and makes herself look young. There's real magic, real power of some sort here, right? Yes. And so if she says, burn this girl and the snows will melt, what that means is thousands of men don't starve and freeze to death. Thousands of men's lives were saved. Now, they all just went on to be slaughtered after the fact. Yeah, but like Davos says, the girl died anyway. You know, like, yep. I don't know. <laughs> and she says it herself. She says, I didn't lie. I was wrong. Right? And that's... Uh, again, I make this example. It's, it's just hard hmm. to relate to this. It's hard to... It's, yeah, there's no, there's no real world you, parallel to this. Right. You, you said this, too. A lot of times you think, what would you do in this situation? But imagine in the real world. This is, like, crazy. But just imagine 
Jesus came out of the sky and CNN cameras and he like magic as he is appeared in everyone's home at once and said, look, I'm here. It's real Christianity, the whole thing. And there's going to be World War III. Russia's going to set off all these nuclear weapons. We're all going to blow up each other. Millions and billions of people are going to die. Or you can burn this little girl. <laughs> people would burn the little girl. It would be really terrible it to be burn terrible. the little girl. But if you believe, if some power that you believe in that's true and real tells you, if you don't do this, this terrible consequence will happen. Well, that's terrible. Which one's more terrible? Yeah, you know? it's true. And it's, it's like Tywin said. Like, I, you don't want to agree with Tywin. But he's like, is it really... You know, we slaughtered all these people at, at the Red Wedding, but this was la there was less death because of it. You know, it would have been, the war would have dragged on forever. There would have been more villagers slaughtered, peasants would have died, would have been lots of innocents died. Now, Tywin doesn't care about that. It's just a point he makes to sell his yeah. argument. I don't think Tywin, but, uh, but it's a pretty good point to characters in the world. To us outsiders of the story, we're like, it's still horrible, man, but, yeah. you know, it's kind of, you can kind of see his point, like reducing the total amount of death. But it's, and you it's, can imagine a leader, you know, Obama probably at some point has to decide to, like, shoot missiles at some village because there's terrorists there. Yeah, but there's also a school. Like, oh, well, the terrorists might destroy ten schools. Uh, yeah, it's really just... Know? These are not... It's good that we don't have to make these decisions in yeah. real life. <laughs> and, we don't, and we can still disagree with what the eventual decision is, but it's like you got to still should take into account how hard that decision probably is, you know? And like you said, yeah, with Melisandre, that's what we're, we're, we're dealing with here. And I think she, she looked to feel bad. Like she didn't, she wasn't like, I had no choice. She defended herself, but she clearly like had emotions going through her mind. She was clearly not just all like, yeah, I had to do it. You know, she was, she felt, you could tell there was some guilt in her, in her demeanor, but she didn't want to be, she also didn't want to be executed. So she also had yeah. to argue for her life. And I think, by the way, she's willing to sacrifice her life. I think to. I think so too. I think not, a large part like of why that, she doesn't but... want to be executed is because she knows she's needed. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I agree. I'm sure she doesn't like want to die, but I think she's come to terms with her death and the, her devotion to this cause is more important than her own life. I think she legit recognizes that. Uh, so getting back to the Jorah Danny thing, how yeah, it compares yeah. is um, in, the, in the 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 leader figure John slash Danny has a similar decision to make. And the reason they are a bit merciful is because of past service. Yeah, she she decides yeah. to let Jorah go, even though he's committed pretty much high treason, putting her own child's life in danger and her own as well. She lets him go with an exile, just saying, okay, well, you know, your crimes aren't erased by your past good deeds, but they will keep me from just executing you out of hand. And it's the same with, with John. She's like, well, you brought me back to life I'm not exactly thrilled to be alive, but that is a great service that you did. And yeah, I can't just kill you, so go. So, where is she going? And that's why I said Arya's a good segue. Because in back when Melisandre meets with the Brotherhood Without Banners, back in season three, I guess it was, when, when they sell Gendry to her, she, Melisandre says, we will meet again. Yeah, oh, that's right. That's right. So... Oh, I remember another quick thing I wanted to say from big. before. Okay. As Cersei was getting crowned... I was thrown back to that moment in season one when she told Ned, you know, play the Game of Thrones, you, you either win or die. die. I'm like, oh, Cersei <laughs> won! <laughs> For now, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, so here's, here's the thoughts on, on Melisandre, especially when you draw the parallel. Again, I'm going to go off with a bunch of thoughts here. Okay, so the parallel between uh, Melisandre and Jon to 
uh, Danny and Jory. Jory and Dana. Jory. Jory, Jory and Dana. <laughs> Jory, that's a character. Uh, <laughs> Long Jory dead. And Danny. Uh, Jory came back. Mm-hmm. So maybe Melisandre's going to come back. Um, I think that's entirely possible. <clears throat> she may make herself too important to be left out. Yeah. Or be led there for some other reason or not, not, not. Be brought back. And, for, yeah, because, uh, yeah, the. the that's what, or maybe John is forced south, and they, it's not and that he that comes time, north, she comes north. It's that they're forced out of the north, and so they have to go south, and then they re-encounter each other. This is a slightly more somber thought, but Barristan was part of, like, hey, you got to go team yeah. with Danny and Jorah. Yeah. And when Jorah came back, Barristan was dead. Oh, yeah. Davos is part of, hey, you got to go team. I was worried it comes back. Davos might be dead. That might be a way to just not have that conflict because Davos is gone. You're like, because Davos is is still going to have the personal issue. Even if he sees her value, that might not be enough for him because he's, he's not exactly going to be 100% logical about it. It's just, it gets him in his gut, in his heart. He's, you know, and he has followed his heart to the detriment of his Lord in the past, right? Like he let Gendry go. He's, Hey, I'll go to prison. I'll be put in jail or whatever. I'll suffer the consequences. He stood up to Stannis for wanting to burn Edric Storm or Gendry. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Edric Storm is the book's character. That was another thought I had too. This is something I've, I swear I've, I've had, I've gone down this thought process before. I can't remember for sure if it was about game of Thrones or if it was on a podcast. Um, but the idea of like a a terrible thing needed to be done for greater good. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're willing to do that, for the greater good, you also should be willing to suffer the consequences. Does that make sense? Sure. Like, if it's okay, if, if you can justify the little girl being burned to save all these lives, well, you can also accept yourself going to jail or being executed for it, too. You know what I mean? That's part of the deal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, if the person who burns the girl is going to be sentenced to death and you think it's worth the girl dying to save these people, doesn't that mean you are also willing to die? You know what I mean? What if the prophecy was... This little girl and you have to be burned alive. We were willing to build it. You know what I mean? It seems you like jump on that pyre with her. Yeah. yeah I mean. uh, it, so, I, I, for a sort of a moral, as far as ethics go, my you know my scenario where Jesus tells people kill the little girl or World War Three is going to happen. I feel like the person who kills the little girl still should be punished for it. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yes. Uh, you you are unintentionally at least. You are you are mastering the unintentional segue here because I think the. <laughs> What John, the reason everyone united behind John was because he proved that he was willing to suffer the consequences. He led from the front. He yeah. charged the Bolton host himself. I mean, he's like totally willing to put himself in the danger that he asked his own men to do. And that's a very kind of northern ethos. Like, don't, you know, pass he who passes the Senate should swing the sword. That kind of thought process is very similar to don't send other men into danger that you're not willing to face yourself. You know, and don't suffer consequences. Don't expect others, people, to suffer consequences that you aren't willing to suffer yourself. John has really proven multiple times that he is absolutely willing to suffer whatever consequences, whatever danger he needs to put himself in. He's totally willing to do it, and that makes him a worthy king figure. And that also explains, I mean, goes a long way to explain. There's other reasons why they would prefer John to Sansa in that moment, but the him being a decorated war hero that has put himself in danger i think is near the top of the list there and it's not just sure part of it's paid you know the the natural state of patriarchy in in westeros in the north where they you know everyone expects the men to be the leaders which is part of the world that we're talking about that's certainly part of why sansa was set aside as well but even without that john has you know he's proven himself far more than she has in terms of the eyes of the leaders maybe they 
I think it would be fair for them to take note more of her, her, what she's done, what her, you know, how important she was, like John did, but only in private. He didn't acknowledge it in public, yeah. although it is kind of obvious, you know, obviously everybody knows the Veil Knights came. Well, maybe they don't know the Veil Knights came because of Sansa. I think they all do that, know that, but maybe not. Maybe they, some of them think John sent them a letter. They don't, maybe, they maybe don't know the, all the workings of that situation. Even if they know, it's pretty typical, like... If the president's going to give someone a Congressional Medal of Honor, yeah, he doesn't just like hand it to him and walks off. He makes it, everyone knows why they're getting the award, but you still say it again. You know, yeah, it's still part true. of the ceremony or the 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 uh, procedure, if you will, you know, etiquette. So this is a good segue for us to talk about. Um, we we maybe could have named a few other possibilities for Mel, where Melisandre could end up, like the brother without banners. Maybe she just goes straight to Danny. You know, there's she. Danny already has yeah. red priestesses in her employ or in her followers and. They could interact some way. Maybe she goes to Cersei. They'll get along. Oh, my. <laughs> they both like burning people. They dress um, in black. <laughs> so we'll come back after a quick break, our mid-episode break, and we will continue with the King in the North. So, yeah, so that's... There was some interesting chatter behind the scenes stuff where with the explanation for why... Oh, hold on. What are you drinking there, Sean? That beverage is a particularly peculiar color there. This is a peach, uh, one of the naked peach almond drinks mixed with a, what's the, whatever the Red Mountain Dew is. Uh, Code Red or yeah, what is this yeah. called? Yeah, I don't It's know. tasty. It's really good. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Um, so, yeah, so the North, we have the scene, we, we have the first scene, which is Melisandre, John, and Davos, and then we move on to this room with all the lords and ladies gathered and little Liana Mormont, which is cool that it's Liana Mormont, like basically bringing forth the talk of being king. This, this is technical, John. but I think there were some other scenes in between, right? Didn't yeah. we, we saw the conversation with Littlefinger and Sansa before. Yes, that was before these. this. You're right, yeah. you're right, you're right. Um, actually, maybe we should talk about that first. So it's good to see Sansa reject Littlefinger. Yeah. We don't want yeah. that to happen. Nobody wants that to happen, I don't think. I thought and in my mind as she put her hand, I was like, oh! I mean, yeah, like... Little fingers, like oh. <laughs> Rejected! And he, she, it's a pretty picture. She just kind of walks, she's yeah. like, it's a pretty picture, just walks off. That was the most, like, quick and done. But he's like, well, you gotta kind of, as much as Littlefinger sucks, as much as, much as he's a terrible yeah. guy, you gotta admire how he just doesn't even miss a beat there. He doesn't feel, he doesn't show any shame at being rejected. He's just yeah. like... You know. <laughs> my, my romantic play might not have gone, but still, I'm politicking here. Yeah, he's you know, not like, giving up. He doesn't, yeah. he, he doesn't, he just keeps going. Yeah, he is, he, he is not, uh, I guess you can't keep him down. He's uh, irrepressible. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's kind of a revelation that his ambitions are big. He said, Very true. Iron Throne. You know? I, I was like, surprising for me. Even as a book reader, I was like, whoa, really? All the way, he really thinks he can get that far. I've always been dubious that he, could, that even he thinks he can get that far. I've always, you know, you've always could tell that his ambition is pretty unlimited. But, like, did he ever see that as a realistic goal? Well, apparently. I, I yeah, that was, that's I thought that it was, I thought it was believable but unrealistic for him to be the, uh, uh, to be king or whatever? King of the North, to warden okay. of the North. Maybe yeah. not king of the but to be warden of the North. You know, I thought, maybe not unrealistic, doable, like, I, within a realm of possibilities. Uh, unlikely, you know, like he'd have to overcome all sorts of things to for that to happen. But it's Bob, maybe. And I was even thinking about how that might be, hey, John, I thought he was going to tell John, hey, you actually had Targaryen blood. You should be the king. 
That could that's still I got could the happen. North. I'll I'll be one of the North, John. You go be king. You know that's, that could that's, still happen, or maybe what will happen is Bran will appear and tell them, and then Littlefinger yeah. hears of it and uses that to kind of undermine John's claim, or says, "Hey, John, you should be going for the Iron Throne instead," <laughs> to, as a way to move him out of the way of the North. So here's another consideration, though. Littlefinger's <laughs> promise to be Warden of the North came from Cersei, who is in one way more powerful than she was, in another less. You know, because in one way she's got like, she's the queen, whereas before she was the queen regent, you know, the queen mother or whatever. But on the other hand, her hold on power may be very tenuous in the long term. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see, well, will be interesting to see what Littlefinger reads in this situation. Is he going to be like, all right, well, Cersei was the one that was going to uphold my claim to be warden of the north. Should I stick with her? Or is he going to be like, I got to get off this ship. This ship is sinking. She is well, off a rocker. Or maybe he's going to just use her... Because he, you know how he thrives on chaos, and she has certainly caused some chaos right yeah. now. Yeah, and also it's worth noting that he, uh, I feel like he always has like if thens for any scenario. If if Cersei falls, Olena would still support him, right? You know, uh, maybe he so, wants to throw in his lot with Danny. He's like, well, you know, this is yeah. sees which way the wind is blowing. I mean, exactly. that would make sense. He's not gonna. I mean, he, you could definitely see Littlefinger going. I don't want to fight that. I want to be on that side. I do not want to be on the other side of those dragons and all those Dothraki and those Unsullied and the Tyrells and the Martell. That's, that's an insane army. You know, you could definitely see him being like, hey, I could be one of your counselors. I'm really good with money. But of course, Tyrion would be like, do not hire this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Littlefinger, if Littlefinger knows that Tyrion is her hand, he might be like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to get in with her. But maybe he makes it so politically necessary yeah like, even Tyrion might recognize Littlefinger's value right especially I mean, knowing up front to not trust him like we'll use this guy we're not going to trust him but he still has uh, a role to play that's a very good point because Tyrion could have killed Littlefinger if he really thought saw him as a threat like Tyrion it's so some people have kind of questioned the fact that Tyrion never really took revenge on Littlefinger for the whole dagger incident blaming you know because he knows that that was Littlefinger that caused that problem that blamed the dagger on him hmm. He knows that. He just never. There was Does never. Does he know it? Yeah, he knows. Because he know. Remember, he are. He 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 found out that it was Littlefinger that told that story to her, and so he never. But he never did anything about it. And it's just, it's the same. It's partly it's the same reason. It's like no Littlefinger getting rid of him at this stage would be bad because they're already facing Stannis. They're already fa- like they have so many enemies. Littlefinger is kind of helpful at the moment because of. At the time, he was Master of Coin. He was really, really good Master of Coin, and they couldn't afford to like have the money slow down at that crucial junction. And then, then he's gone. Then he's just out of. He's like goes to the Vale, and he's kind of out of. He can't be touched at that point. So, yeah, it's a really tough call whether it'll be politically expedient or not. If he has control over Sweet Robin, if he's like, hey, the Vale will join, will will side with Danny if. You know, like, don't kill me. You know, something yeah. like that. He won't say, say it that way, but he'll be like, you have to appoint me this. You know, I need a position in your, you know, cabinet, whatever, you know, for lack of a better term. Make me one of your small counselors or something like that. So he might be able to show that he's too important to be killed off. You're right. But uh, I really don't know which way he'll go. I, it's, I think it's really interesting that there's a lot of choices for him. I, I also wonder how some of these people... Whether Jamie aligns with Cersei, Elena getting revenge on her, where Littlefinger's gonna go. At some level, they're gonna have to like recognize what John's presenting. You know, like, look, zombies, real battle, come on, y'all. Like, 
It's uh, almost like, yeah, like trying to figure yeah. out where the, it's really interesting because we, we, we had a really strong handle on so many things and we predicted a lot of things this season. We were certainly wrong about several things, but we nailed quite a few of our predictions. And right now, I don't feel comfortable making a lot of predictions because it's kind of like if this was like some sort of board game, it's almost like someone kicked the table yeah, and knocked yeah. all the pieces off and then reset them and half of them are missing now. It's yeah. like, I got no idea. Like, it's just a big reset button. Like, the chaos, it's a huge, huge shakeup. It's massively different. So, yeah, I, I, like, I, which I like. I like not knowing what's coming. One thing you can, you can do is kind of look forward predict you know what the character's gonna do uh, yeah so one there's a lot of characters that are just removed so uh we don't things we thought they were gonna do aren't gonna happen now right and two characters before that we thought we might know what they're gonna do we're less sure about we're less sure about how dark a move cersei might make how far jamie can be pushed uh whether or not People are going to realize the threat of the zombie. You know, now that the battle's won, are they going to... You know, there's... There are some people we can still kind of be pretty confident about what they're going to do, how they're going to act. Danny's going to come. She's <laughs> going to be pompous about it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but there's definitely a lot more... A lot less predictability simply due to missing pieces and changed characters. So. Yeah, and this other element... We've got all these things that we just don't know how, how they're going to interact with each other. How is the Dothraki going to interact with Westeros? How are the Red? How are the followers of the Red God going to interact with Westeros? How are they going? To, I mean, the Faith Militant is its lost massive power, so maybe that's not going to be an issue. The Zealots are—they maybe have lost so much power that they're not going to be a conflict with Danny's Red Priest worshippers or Red God worshippers. But the dragons—how will they interact with Westeros? And finally. Winter. That's the real big wild card. How will the dragons react to winter? Is that a problem for them? I think the fact... Some people question why the White Walkers are just taking their time. Why haven't they struck yet? Why haven't they moved on? Because they're waiting for winter to, to be in full force. We're told that in this episode, that the Maesters think it could be the biggest winter in a thousand years. Which is like, whoa! Because you see the Citadel and you see, like, look at all those records they have. They might really, they really know what they're talking about. So... This is also really unpredictable. What what impact will... Because I can't... It just it seems like it would almost be too easy for the dragons just to... On paper, it almost seems like the dragons would just toast the White I, Walkers. It'd be easy. But I don't think it will be that <laughs> I sort of question a, a line of your thought there. I don't know okay. what cause and effect is. I don't know if the White Walkers are waiting for winter. John said it. They're bringing winter. Maybe. I don't know. But, That's a good point. Uh, it, well, is, it does seem coincidental that as the White Walkers are forming now, winter's kind of, I don't know what's, what's That's a good point. Effect, it could be right? that they, it takes them a while to, for winter. To, and like they've they started might, the process and right. they're waiting for it to What gestate. they might be waiting <laughs> on is another thing that we were told. There's magic in the wall. They might be waiting for the magic in the wall or some solution or some way around. They might, you know, they might be forming, they might be rising to power, they might be drawing up plans, but we can't get past that wall. There's magic in the wall. Mm. And maybe that's what they're waiting for. Yeah. And uh, I really am, uh, some people th are, are still big on the brand's mark will be the thing that breaks the magic in the wall. I really, yeah. really don't think so. I mean, it would, it wouldn't be the first time they've had a plot hole. In the show, there's been plenty of plot holes. It's the, the show is just bigger than a lot of its plot holes. It's just really good in other ways. And unlike other TV shows, I think Game of Thrones can get by with plenty of plot holes because it does so many other things well. And because the scale of it is so huge that you kind of have to expect some plot holes. Well, what like, plot hole would that be? In this case, if... Uh, if the Walkers wanted Bran to escape, 
why didn't they let him escape? Branjan saved him at the last second. That was not a fake out. Yeah. They, they yeah. say like they were con- trying to kill him. Yeah, it's true. They were absolutely trying to kill him. Those 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 whites were after him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him completely. Maybe maybe they just wanted to kill Mira and capture him. But I don't think so. Like we never seen the whites do anything other than kill. We never seen them like yeah. act like capture soldiers someone. and capture someone. That yeah. would be new. So that would be a plot hole. Um, so I hope that's not the case. So, that, so I'm being optimistic that that's not a plot hole and that the, the wall is going to come down some other way or they're going to be able to break the wall some other way. We just haven't seen it yet. But I don't have other ideas on what yeah. the mechanism might be. So I, I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm just declaring that that would be a plot hole in advance if that is what happens. I wonder if it's possible that they, uh, they didn't even have been killed, that if he comes back, right? He, hmm. Bran could still come back as a zombie. And maybe as a zombie with a mark on him, he still could get through. That would be a way around the plot hole, at least. Yeah, I guess. I, would, I don't know how they could explain that. But yeah, I mean, like, if we want to try to invent explanations, because that's how it went out. If, if, if it plays out that way, we're going to have to kind of make up explanations to make it work. And that might that might fit. But I often have questions about the details and science behind things like zombies. <laughs> they, like, keep coming back, right? Unless what? Unless you burn, burn them? Burned, yeah. Or, I guess, the, uh, the, the obsidian? Yeah. Or... I mean, the obsidian doesn't affect the whites. Only the white walkers. Only the white walkers? Yeah. Right. Is, to, to the whites themselves, obsidian is just a sharp, I just fragile wonder, like, blade. What if you eat them? Like, if you, <laughs> like, you, like you chop off an arm and their body keeps going, right? What if you chop... I just wonder... Well, here's the thing. Know. In the books, because uh, we don't... As usual, I rarely try to bring up the books other than as a very thin point of interest. But here, we, you know, we don't have an example in the show. But, yeah, in the books, there is examples of the dire wolves eating zombie flesh and there's no ill consequences so they don't it's, turn it's into zombie flesh. dire wolves no it's just the it's poop just is a zombie dire poop <laughs> <laughs> poop coming alive <laughs> a lot of poop themes these last few weeks talk about ramsey coming back as poop dog poop because he was eaten by them anyway so yeah uh, that's a big wait and see yeah and I, I wonder how john will interact with all this you know whether and of course we have brand's got a Benjamin drops Bran off right in front of the wall. Like, not right in front of the wall, but you can see it in the distance from where they're at, where he drops them off. And it's the tree, same tree that John and Sam say, say their vows at. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah oh, I, yeah, I, that's right. Yeah. yeah, which makes sense. Like, when I saw that tree and he's like, I'm leaving you here because the wall's right here, I assumed it right away. <laughs> and it looked familiar. And then, you know, we checked. And yes, indeed, it's the same tree. So that tree is really close to the wall. So I guess Mira's got to drag him a short way, but it's, you know, it's right there. <laughs> you so, got this, Mira. You got this, Mira, yeah. You, you've been building that upper body strength. You build a little sled. It's easier to drag someone through snow than it is through just regular dirt. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's really big. But the all the stuff with John and the King in the North is directly, but directly tied to what just happened in Bran's scene, which is the reveal of John's parentage. They don't make it 100% clear who John's father is. The clues are there. It's, it's very obvious if you look at the clues who John's father was. They've, but they make it unmistakably clear who his mother was. Which That was set up for a while, but it was, it was sneaky in a lot of ways. And the idea has been in the book fandom for forever, since like the 90s. So it's the idea that John's parents have been Rhaegar and Lyanna is, is pretty old, but it, that doesn't mean it wasn't a huge moment. Seeing a, a theory... A long-held theory com- confirmed on the TV show was pretty sweet, even though it was, like, really, really expected. 
and the scene was really well done. I thought the Liana's pain was was there. Ned's heartache was was clear, and I frankly liked that there were bedmaids there. It's always been a question whether there were bedmaids, you know, women to help with the birth. Uh, uh, what are they called? The, uh, the they just call them the birthing women in the, in, the, in, the, in canon. So. <clears throat> I thought that was important because in, in the, you know, in the books there's been questions about, was there anybody else there? Was there anyone else to witness it? You know, and uh, there had to be, they didn't expect the Kingsguard to deliver this kid, right? <laughs> you know, so there had to be some helpers. So that, that made sense. I'm glad to see them include that. But anyway, so w- what did you think of, of that reveal? You know, you, you kind of knew it was coming too. Um, how, what do you think about the way it was done? You know, they showed the baby and then kind of transposed to John's, you know, John's face over it afterwards. I thought that was pretty good. Oh, it was fine. I, I thought it was cool as it happened, but I, I don't want to be too negative, but I didn't think it was anything special. It was, mm. it was fine. It was, it was kind of what we expected. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it was like out of a, an episode that had so many amazing things happening. I agree. It didn't necessarily stand out. It, it had a lot of meaning behind it. It was quite a moment for, especially for book readers who've waited for it for a long time. But... They could only really screw it up, and they didn't. Because it it's pretty straightforward, right? It's just, you know, he's as far as what they're trying to do, there's no, like, cinematic... There's no, like, <laughs> room for special effects or any kind of, like, epic stuff yeah. there. It's really just the pain of the brother losing his sister to these awful circumstances and the reveal of who, you know, the, the, the narrative takeaways are yeah. huge. But, it, like, for one thing, her character was not re- developed at all. Right, you know I mean? we saw her like and, in the past uh, for a minute. We saw her talked about in season one. Much less her relationship with her brother, right? These are things that like grand total we've gotten three lines about or something. You know what I mean? Well, a couple a little more quick depth, images, lot, yeah. you know, right? So it it didn't draw as much emotion out of me as it as, as these other things that are happening, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't necessarily want to fault that. Uh, it's not. I'm not. I'm not complaining. You know what I mean. But yeah. it's just. I'm just pointing out a reason why I wasn't like, whoa! I can't believe. You know, like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You, uh, you it's something it we kind of kind of knew yeah. already. It was, uh, and uh, it wasn't. Didn't have a lot of emotions attached to. Um, I felt I had another thought along that line. <laughs> I lost what it was. Oh well. Uh, I'm sure I'll think of it as soon as we finish recording. <laughs> so there was a there was a little parallel there. It's, when Sansa and John are standing on top of the wall or top of Winterfell's battlements together, watching Melisandre right away, and they talk about how winter is coming or winter is here now, and and they say father like father always promised, you know. Yeah. And then, yeah, oh yeah. And then we have this. I did not you know, catch Promise that. me, promise me, and father always yeah. promised. Indeed, he did. <laughs> I remembered uh, what I was going to say a second ago. Is it? Uh, originally, I was my my role here was unsullied, right? I I hadn't read the books and I'd watch a show, and so I had some different perspectives. Right? Yes, yes. Uh, so this is a perfect example of that, by the way. This scene, like this, this had so much impact for book readers, a lot less so for. Yeah. So others. for that said, though, at this point, I'm pretty deep into it. I've started reading the books now. I'm, I'm halfway through the second book. I watch every episode over and over again. I have pages and pages of notes. I've had <laughs> hours and hours of discussion recorded. You are fully one of us. You have us. no idea how much <laughs> discussion I have outside these recordings. Even I'm pretty deep into it. I love it. I've put a lot of thought into it. I care a lot about it and so on. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Leon is John Stark. John Snow's dad. Let's go on. <laughs> uh, 
but I wonder the average viewer, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm truly unsullied anymore. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm really representing the average viewer at this point. It's a gray area, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I don't know that the the average viewer is necessarily represents our audience at this point either. True, very true, very true. But I bring all this up because I do wonder about a more casual viewer if they are putting all this together. You know. Uh, to me, before this scene, it's already all of this is already obvious. But I wonder a more casual viewer if they, if they might be like, "Whoa, that's who John's mom is." Maybe it is a bigger moment. For I think them. for some it would have been, yeah. And I think a lot of people still don't know. Right, who and even the with this, they is. still aren't connecting who the because father is she whispers exactly. it. Right, I assume they don't think John had a Ned had a son with his sister i, would, I don't think i wonder how many people are going there you know what i mean yeah but, a few uh, people have certainly but no that's certainly not the case um and but it's so easy if you just like get up to get a drink you miss tom and killing himself you know what i mean yeah. uh there it's, it's sometimes one line or one image can be very meaningful and impactful yeah. and, and plant a lot of ideas or set a course of a character and if you're not really on top of it, it's so thick. The show is so thick. Every moment of it has so much meaning. Uh, you have to go back and watch it three times to take notes, or you might not absorb it all. And I wonder how many of the masses out there obviously love the show, because I think on a superficial level, it's really good. Uh, superficial, I don't necessarily mean as a negative. I'm just describing on, on the surface what you see right. is visually stunning and good performances. You can and see why it's popular, even if people right. don't like grasp the story. Like, right. Even but if they don't get this, into the details as much. You this know? depth underneath, uh, things just that look that Sansa gives Littlefinger. You know, yeah. everyone's chanting King of the North. And that that, was that has a lot of meaning. If you just like look away for a second, you don't see that. And we're going to talk for... An, Hours and hours about the meaning of that one second moment, you know. <laughs> and it, yeah, that was an interesting look she gave him. What did you yeah. read from that look? Uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of different takes on it. I, I wasn't sure at first, but the more I think about it, I, I think that that's it was like a, a furthering of what Littlefinger was doing when they met earlier at the, the trying to divide the Godswood. divide those two. He's Littlefinger's like. See, see how unfair this is. You know what I mean. And Sansa, because Sansa was kind of, she was like smiling when Lyanna gave her speech, and everyone's like cheering. She's like, yeah, yeah. times are good. You know what I mean. Uh, but then all of a sudden, she kind of serioused up a little bit when she caught Littlefinger's glance, and 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 I took it to be her remembering. You know, Littlefinger yeah. kind of pointing out to her, you should be the one. And she's like, hey, how come I'm not the one? Uh, Behind the scenes, the interviews with Kit Harrington and, and Sophie Turner. They both pointed out that John is still kind of a little oblivious to what's going on in Sansa's mind. He's still kind of naive about her feelings, despite the heart-to-heart -heart they've had. And Sansa was a little annoyed at the lack of her being mentioned as important, you know. And so yeah. that's so. They're the actors are sounding like they're setting up a bit of a conflict to come next season, even without the obvious things on the screen that show that that's coming. So even the actors are talking about it. So I, I think that's coming. Sansa and John may have conflict next season. I don't know like how bad that conflict could get. Could it really be like fighting each other, like factions breaking out like that? I'm a little dubious of that, but it's got to be considered possible. Yeah. I, I tell you my the thoughts I have just swirling around, uh, the idea that um, that John is like not giving her credit, right? 
Yeah. Uh, the the thing is, it's think of how other characters might respond here. John's not giving her credit, but he's also not like, yeah, I'm the fucking man. <laughs> yeah, he just kind switches. of. You can see how a lot of other characters might react in a much more arrogant, boastful way, but he's kind of like stunned that all this is happening. He's kind of like, it's kind of like his Lord Command when he was made Lord Command. He's like, again, what? Uh, I, I guess, don't want you know, this responsibility. Right, right. And so, uh, <laughs> but you deserve it. That's the that's proof that you deserve it. That he yeah, doesn't want yeah. It. He doesn't want the power for power's sake. Now, just because John isn't prideful about all this doesn't mean Sansa doesn't feel slighted. Yeah. Just because he's not arrogant about all this doesn't mean he couldn't still give her some. Doesn't mean he's not also naive about it, right? Um, <clears throat> but it also does mean that. He isn't prideful. He isn't mean. He's not trying to screw Sansa over. He's not plotting against her or something. He, and it's, it's you know, I, I'm trying to look at all the different sides here, but how Sansa, like, maybe you could see how she might feel like this is unfair. But think of how much worse it could be for her. What if, how much worse it's been for her? She <laughs> should be so happy that the biggest dilemma in her life is her brother's not giving her credit. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's not so bad. Please yeah. let that be the dilemma in my life, she would have been saying in any other stage in the show. And that even and, was raised. Remember with Melisandre when she, when John's like, we used to have feasts in here. That's where right. I would sit. And, and that's the like, exact point that I was going to You had a family. Right. You had feasts. <laughs> it's this relative thing, right? Yeah. It's relative. Like, it's uh, things could be so much worse for her that this seems kind of trivial compared to how it has been or could be. Yeah. And same thing with John. Like, these dilemmas in his life is like, my rich family wouldn't let me sit at the main table when we had our feast. In the meantime, yeah. people are starving to death. Do you, you really? Know? Yeah, and it's funny because he's like, it's a really naive thing to say in front of Melisandre, who it's not revealed on the show, I don't think. But but in the books, Melisandre was a slave when she was a girl. When she was a girl, I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. So, so it was it's on probably the show, not brought up. I missed it. So yeah. it may not be true in the show. But if it is, it's like no wonder she's like, dude, <laughs> like <laughs> you you're feasts. pissed that you had to sit in the back. <laughs> yeah. I was a slave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you're speaking to the wrong. If you want sympathy, you're speaking to the wrong person. I and brought about, you back to life. I mean, and man. about the wrong thing, because there's other things to legit feel bad for him. About, yeah, yeah, right? it's but, true. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't like feeling sorry for himself. He was just like. This room has memories, and they're not all yeah, good, you know. Being but nostalgic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And John is just kind of—that's the way he is. He isn't high or low on his emotions. He's just kind of always kind of middle, because he's very internalized. He's very, he's like his fa his his non father, the guy who raised him. His, his his uncle Ned is really who he is, and it's very much like Ned. Ned's very stone faced. He he takes things in stride. He doesn't really get really angry or really sad. He's I mean he. He does, but he, he doesn't even express he does, it. He's he doesn't express it, right? Yeah. He's he's po got a poker face. You know, I just thought of something. I, I don't know why this popped in my head just now, but I wonder if on some level, when John killed Ollie, that's for killing my girlfriend, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that never occurred to me until just now that Ollie actually killed. Uh, I know at least a part of that is every now and then someone made a meme of uh, it's like a, an image of Jon Snow, and at the top it says, "I lost my girlfriend." I have no regrets. <laughs> and I think that a lot about when John's doing this or that. Well, he has no regrets. <laughs> and no regrets when he killed Ollie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so another important line from the actual raising of John up to the king in the north, which I think will matter later, is Lyanna Mormont specifically says, he's got Ned Stark's blood in his veins. Nope. Yeah, does I, not. Does no, he I don't. I didn't think about that. I was like, well, he has... Leona he has Stark blood. blood in his veins. He is a Stark. And Leona has uh, uh, 
It's, What's their it's father's name? I can't Ricard, remember. yeah. Ricard. Ned's father. They have the same father, yeah. Father. And Ned had Ricard, so if Ned, the transitive properties here, right? He's, like, he's still a Stark. I guess technically. Yeah, uh, he is definitely a Stark. I mean, he, if I Lyanna like... and Rhaegar were married, he would be a Targaryen <coughs> if that marriage is recognized because polygamy isn't legal. But there is some precedent for it, although when it happened, it was not, it was received very poorly. In fact, it was received very poorly by the faith. And the, the, the king who did it, apart from Aegon the Conqueror himself, who when he took the throne, he already had two wives. But when his second son, Magor the Cruel, took over, Magor did the multiple wife thing because he couldn't have a child. He wasn't having children, so he kept trying to have children with other wives. And the faith, the faith militant, was his biggest enemy because of they hate incest. They hate children of incest and they hate multiple polygamy. And... <coughs> He's the he and his successor are the reason the faith militant were destroyed in the mm. first place. And Cersei is doing a lot of things like Magor the Cruel, <laughs> more like King Aerys, more like the Mad King. But she's channeling a lot of Magor the Cruel also, and that's really interesting. This 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 all she's out war. Show with all the those faith Targaryens, militant. what's up? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> she's got that Mad Queen thing going. You thought you guys were tyrants. <laughs> <laughs> where do you see, where do they get a load of me <laughs> and Danny <laughs> yeah and Danny yeah she wait till she gets a load of Danny and it hasn't even come yet so yeah um we wonder about Bran you know Bran's a bit of a wild card at this point he's gonna pass the wall I assume setting aside the idea whether or not he's gonna passing the wall is gonna break the magic <coughs> seals on it or not we don't know. That's a real wild card. Just how the information is going to come out. He knows who John's parents are now. He's the only one who knows, maybe. So, or the only one who has been introduced. Well, again, anyway. also thinking of perspectives, he knows who John's mom is. He, he does it still. He, Bran doesn't know as much as we know, right, as an audience. Does Bran know who Littlefinger I is? I think Bran, Bran would figure that out. But you're maybe. right. There's a chance Bran doesn't understand who the father, who that, who the, who it's being exclaimed as he may not realize that Rhaegar is the father that's definitely possible actually I hadn't considered that much I think he would know because of the Kingsguard being out there and saying you know he heard he heard the stories when he was a kid that that Rhaegar raped Lyanna so he should be able to put it together yeah I think we can assume that he will Maybe not in that moment, but he's got time, like traveling yeah. to the wall. I think he's going to figure it out. It's possible he won't. Visions know. can come too. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, so I, that's a good point that he may not know, but I think he does. And either way, he he can tell the truth about John's mother, which by itself is a bombshell. But still, it's a bombshell. We don't know. Like John is still the war hero. You know, I don't know if the Starks are be like, well, he's still a Stark. We we nominated him king in the north for all the reasons we nominated him, we're still pretty much there. Yeah, he's yeah. not Ned Stark's son. So what? He was raised by Ned Stark. <laughs> he still was the war hero. He's still all these things. It might give someone else the the potential of challenging. Like Littlefinger. Right? But <laughs> it'll still be a conflict. Yes. It's not like all the lords will be like, oh, oh, never mind, forget it. Just like in King's Landing, I've said this in it before, even if definitive proof was brought that John was Targaryen, which it's hard to bring definitive proof. Oh, this little boy said so? Yeah. Oh, yeah, all right. But even if the legitimate <laughs> proof was brought, Cersei slash a dozen people who aren't alive anymore aren't just going to be like, oh, okay, never mind, go ahead. You, you beat the king, you know. Uh, I still think that they would default to maintaining their position, and so then they would armies would be raised and there would be war or whatever. Whether or not Littlefinger would go to that extent, if he did, where would Sansa 
fall? Which yeah, side right? you would be on, right? <laughs> it's a really tough call. How can they even get caught up in all that when the zombies are the main thing, you know? John might even say, John might even say, fine, whatever. You, someone else be Lord of the North. I don't give a fuck. We gotta go fight the zombies. And to some extent, other people might say the same thing. Yeah. We'll accept him as Lord till we've won this battle. Then we'll figure out who the true king of the North should be. They may not even have the opportunity. It might just be such such chaos if the walkers like make huge progress and just invade the North. The winter is just so horrible. They may not, you know, have the the wherewithal, the political connectedness all to gather and make a decision like that. Yeah. They may just be just on their heels running. Or to even wage a war, right? Yeah. yeah, they may yeah, it may just fall apart so fast that they're just like, We gotta get south and, and regroup, you know, like you know, one thought, by the way, let's say we can justify the what might be a loophole with Bran. Yeah. And it, he does come through, and the mark in his arm removes the magic of the wall. That still doesn't mean the zombies just come right through. It's still a huge-ass wall. The wildlings couldn't get through. Magic wasn't affecting them. Yeah, it's not like they right? just walk through now. Like, yeah. like, oh, Maybe eventually the right wildlings would have come through because... But, but uh, a huge effort, including giants, you know what I mean? Uh, wasn't it yeah. wasn't at least in one night. And more waves would have come, but... The, the wall would have had a hard time keeping up because uh, they were so short-staffed. But if there's a full manning of Castle Black, who knows how long they might hold the wildlings off. Like, one problem is wildlings, wildlings, zombies, walkers, they might just keep coming back alive. Like, they might have, like, infinite. You know what I mean? Yes. So there might be an infinite battle at the wall that mm. troops have to constantly keep being sent to yeah. keep fighting them off. I don't know if it's that's... True. I don't know. I don't see that being the end of the show with the infinite battle continuing at the wall. But <laughs> it would be neat. it would be a neat world, right? It would be a neat uh, setup of a story to just have this infinite battle happening somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think we could stay in the north a bit longer. There's still plenty to talk about there. There's still a few things, places we haven't fully discussed. But let's let's stick in the north for now. Um. The arrival of the White Ravens is pretty cool. We haven't talked about the Citadel yet much, but we saw the birds leaving the high tower, the Citadel there, and I don't know if everyone realized what was happening when all those birds were flying out, but we were like, oh, those are the White Ravens. Oh, man, that's a big deal. And sure enough, we see that raven fly to Winterfell, and it is snowy. All the, 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 There's way more snow than there was during the Battle of the Bastards. Speaking of segues, they had a few good ones. They had the, We see the white bird coming to Winterfell, we see the cut from baby Jon Snow to adult Jon Snow. True. Uh, You're right. They've been it's really good. Blurring what scene we're in, even in that opening way, they were cutting to different people getting dressed and the Cersei and the Pycelle and the Sept and everything. A uh, little bit of a tangent, uh, but I just wanted to point out again, I just really appreciated the, the piecing together of this episode. And I think editing gets as much credit as directing yeah. or anything else, you know. Something else that just kind of a random thought backing up slightly about the John and Melisandre Davos scene is it, it had shades of, I talked about how it had strong parallels to Jorah and Danny, but it also has parallels to Rob and Rickard Karstark. Rob executed Rickard Karstark, lost the Karstarks. That was huge. If he had compromised, I mean like, yeah, you should be punished for doing this. This was a terrible thing that you did. This was treasonous, but I really cannot afford to not have your soldiers. Uh, John may really miss having Melisandre. <laughs> like yeah. she says, I'm important. I can help you. He, it's not going to cause this domino effect of people wanting revenge on on Rob for killing yeah. their lord. There's no Harold Karstark out there that's going to be like, you sent away Melisandre. I'm going to kill you. You know, nothing like that. But it's dismissing a 
potentially very important ally because of a justifiable crime. Not, the crime wasn't justifiable. I mean, I said that wrong. It's justifiable to send them away, just like it was justifiable for Rob to execute Rickard Karstark. No question. But there are still consequences to doing the right thing yeah. in this case. Everything is justifiable. You you shouldn't necessarily do everything that's justifiable. Yeah. It's justifiable <laughs> for me to hop around on my right foot all the time. It doesn't mean I should hop around on my right foot all the time. You might be able to fly an airplane blind, but you really shouldn't <laughs> <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting um, in general. There's just so many things to talk about in the North. Um, yeah, what's going to... What? Well, one, one thought we started to go down and got sidetracked 18 times from was <laughs> Liana starts to make her speech. Yes, yes. That was really big. Oh, and you mentioned how she said that John having Stark. Yeah, Stark uh, blood or Ned, Ned Stark's, Stark's blood, blood, which is yeah. not entirely true, but it's pretty close to true. So that's, yeah, it's another thing. It's really, really cool that we could see it going a lot of different directions. I, I agree with you that I doubt the Northern Lords are just going to be like, what? He's not Ned <coughs> Stark's son? To hell with him, you know, no. He's still, like, the hero of the hour, and that's not going to be forgotten. They're, they've pledged, and arguably, it's too late. they pledged themselves to him. They knelt before him. Can they, get? can they, like, say, uh, my oath didn't count, you know, because, <laughs> because John, you know, because he's not who we thought he was. Yeah, I don't know. He's still a Stark, and that was kind of the bottom line, you know. He's still, a, he's a Stark bastard either way. You know, one thought that I had up here, uh, specifically in the moment when uh, <clears throat> Sansa and Littlefingers look at each other. Yeah. I, I wonder if if Littlefinger, I bet Littlefinger knew it was going to play out like this. Mm. He, he plants that seed in Sansa. When he did that, I think he knew good and well the troops are going to rally around John. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, maybe he didn't see that coming King in the North. He may not have seen King in the North coming. I think he was going to see... John, John becoming Lord of Winterfell is what he was expecting. That's why he was he brought that up ahead of time. He was like, Sansa, you should be Lord Lady of Winterfell. I don't think he saw this Queen or King in the North thing coming. I didn't see it coming. You know, I, I don't know that Littlefinger could have because they didn't they didn't have a king in there. It's not like Ramsay was king in the north. He was warden of the north. So I think Littlefinger just expected it to progress like that. Maybe. Rob was king of the north. Yeah, but no one but he didn't name a successor that we saw, and there and that position had been empty for a long time, for years yeah. potentially. So I don't know if maybe he in the back of his mind, but I don't think he expected it to happen. I think he was expecting them to acclaim him warden in the north, and that's what he was against. This whole king in the north thing is like. I guess maybe Littlefinger wouldn't necessarily have expected it. I just feel like I expected it. To me, it was like, whoa, king in the north. I didn't see that. I feel like it, Lyanna said it seasons ago. She's like, we only recognize one king, and his name is Stark. You know, like I think yeah. that it's, and I don't think she's like the only random. It's. I feel like. The sentiment of the little girl is probably pretty representative of the community. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's true. Uh, I don't think she just made that up all on her own. By the way, that actress's name is Bella Ramsey. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Bella Ramsey. I'm glad she got more lines. I was like, I was wondering, you know, she was in the, in the back of the battle there. She was, you know, with the in the parlay with Ramsey and and John. She didn't have any lines there. She just gave the the look, you know, which was pretty strong. I was, I'm so glad she got more lines. She got more than more lines. She got great lines. She got a great speech, yeah. and the other Northern Lords were like, She's my she's new right. hero. She's my new hero, man. <laughs> yeah, she's I, awesome. That whole scene, I, I felt like, I was kind of like, fighting back a big smile. I just wanted to like, <laughs> I had the emotion of a laugh on my face. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I felt yeah. like Sansa had it too, and I was like, I was just, and it was also neat to, that that's a new potential central character, Manderly, that guy. Yes. I don't he think is, we've seen him before, and it kind of featured him there, right? Yes, uh, he was 
very, very slightly... He's been mentioned before, but that was absolutely his first appearance. But his son was seen at the Red Wedding. Okay. And he was killed. And that's what uh, Leona Mormont says. He's Reference like, your son was killed at the Red Wedding. You still didn't stand up to the Boltons or whatever. And... I, was how she, I thought it was neat how she took, like, three different... Like, she's like, you know, you were part of the treason at the Red Wedding. You took a personal loss. Like, she came at yeah. it for three different angles, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, you suffered at the Red Wedding, did nothing. You suffered at the hand of the Boltons directly, did nothing. And you just did nothing to the Glover. The Glover did nothing. He just sat on the sidelines. He didn't, he didn't fight for Ramsey, and he didn't fight for the Starks. You, you were approached at a, a time of need. Yes. Like, yeah, because uh, that's we saw that scene with uh, with Ramsey and or not with Ramsey, but John and, and John Sansa going Sansa, to him yeah, at going their to moment him. of greatest need. Like right. you swore an allegiance, and now here's the time for your allegiance. You didn't come through. You personally suffered at this. You know you have reason for revenge, and still you guys like I'm doing it. I don't know what you old old <laughs> men are doing, but the young women here <laughs> know what's up. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's pretty cool. It's, it's like the, the young people reminding the old people their duty again. You know, it's like that's, they all felt a little shamed. You know, they were shamed and then they were like, man, this little girl is the one telling us this. Like, <laughs> damn, she's right though. You know, it's like the little girl's telling you your business. You might have messed up. You know, like she, she's really wiser and braver than all of us. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's, evidence is pretty strong. So... Yeah, so you wonder, you know, they all they all rally, they all, you know, agree that they did the wrong thing, but they're willing to make up for it. And John says himself, John's very forgiving. He doesn't really take Sansa to task for not telling him about Littlefinger. He doesn't, he's not mad at Glover for not backing him, but that's just John. He's just real humble like that. And... Yeah, that's just kind of his character. So we go. That's actually something we haven't talked about. Is it's, is the Sansa the resolution of Sansa not telling about the Vale Knights? And a lot of people had issues with how that was done. And I, I personally thought there could be some major issues with it. And it was gonna. I was mostly reserving judgment to see how they played it out. And I thought this was a, a solid enough way to play it out. It wasn't like super exhaustively explanative and and didn't like say, oh, that totally makes sense. But I kind of get it. I don't think it was the most the strongest plot, but I don't think it was bad writing. Some people are saying it's bad writing, and I don't agree with that. I think it was. Maybe, I don't think so either. I think it wasn't super strong writing. I had to think about it. Yeah. And I and as I thought about it, it it made sense to me. You know. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when I have to think about it, it still doesn't make sense or makes even less sense, and I, yes. I get really bothered at that. Yeah. But I I want the show to make me think. I want to be thinking. Yeah. And when I get to thinking and I can piece it together, I feel good about it. And, and I did. I, 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 I'm pretty sure I talked about this. Sometimes I think of things after the fact, so I can't remember for sure if I said this last week. But I feel like Sansa doesn't even know for sure that he's coming. And, and doesn't know his, which side he's going to take. Like right. she says, there's like only a fool would trust Littlefinger. So. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me, by the way. She's calling her own father a fool. I wonder how much <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah. I wonder how much in Sansa's mind she meant to be calling her dad a fool. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if she made that. That's an interesting point. Or how much point. it was something for us to catch. But still, she did, even even if she knew, he, even if she got a letter back from him, said, yeah, I'll be there. Did he say I'll be there Thursday at 3 o'clock? <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine how the conversation plays out when yeah. she tells John. Does he be like... Oh, okay. Well, we'll just wait then. Yeah, and then and they, they just sit there quietly. You don't talk about anything. No, he's gonna have questions. He's like, when is he coming? How many men does he have? What time will he be here? Will he fight on our side? Can I trust him? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Even I John think, knew. He's like, should we trust? Can we? Can you trust him? And Sansa's like, only a fool would trust Littlefinger. Like she's just yeah. not even 
doesn't hem and haw, no beating around the bush. It is possible she should have at least said something, but I just think, I, I can think of so many realistic, legitimate reasons for her not to have, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe some bad re- It doesn't mean I, th- I'm not necessarily saying she absolutely should not have said a word no matter what, but I also don't think it's terrible writing that she didn't say a word. I think we're somewhere in the middle that she probably made a mistake as a person by she not admit, telling she him. It. And she had several legit reasons for not telling him. Mm-hmm. And it it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad writing just because a character makes a poor action, you know? I thought they raised it pretty well, too. John, bring, the way they brought it up was, was kind of telling. John says, Littlefinger sold you to the Boltons. And she's like, yeah. So that tells you right there... Are you sure Littlefinger isn't just going to work with the Boltons? Are you sure he isn't going to side with them? And that's part of why Sansa was afraid to bring it up. She's like, yeah, I don't know if we can trust this guy. I don't know if bringing this army is actually going to go well for us. He might just attack the... John? The wildlings. John was afraid to bring it up when he was asked, who else is in your army? Who are we fighting with? Uh, the wildlings. <laughs> you know, he, he yeah. had his reasons. So he, you know what I mean? Right, I the, yeah, you're right. The Glovers are like... When he was we're not put, fighting with the wildlings. The Veilmen were like when they even after the battle. Lord yeah, Royce is like, I, still, I didn't bring them over. You know, yeah. I, it wasn't my choice. You know, it's still like we're we're holding it out. Like they, there's a lot of prejudice, very deep seated prejudice against the wildlings, even as far south as Randall Tarley, really, really far yeah, away from yeah, the wildlings. Right. Royce is closer to the wall than than the than Sam Sam's family by far, but he's still pretty damn far from it. But he knows what it's all about. That was his son that was killed in, in season episode, one, episode yeah. one, the first scene. Yeah. Yeah, that was his son. So he's clearly been a supporter of the of the Night's Watch for a long time. He he respects the old traditions there. But, yeah, but he's got the same prejudices. He's like, nah, there's wildlings. We're, we don't know. And the, the Knights of the Vale in particular are known for being the most, like, prideful and arrogant because they are the original Andal blood. The Andals first came to the Vale. That's where they first landed, and then they expanded from there. So the, the most ancient Andal families are in the Vale. So they have this extra level of pride. So the wildlings are, you know, you, you, that's how it tends to work. Like the upper class kind of looks down at the, at the lower class. That's a common trope in reality as well as in many TV shows. And so that's ex- pretty much what we're seeing there. I wonder if that will come up more or whether, you know, John's just going to be like, nope. They're a part of the army, I'm the king, and they have earned their keep. We'll see. That could be another point of contention. Maybe that's something that Littlefinger uses. Oh, yeah. I, that yeah. just occurred to me just now. Like, Littlefinger could be like, the wildlings, blah, 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 blah. You know, they're on the side. that He could definitely get some northern lords upset. He can some play on that. against John. I mean, Royce is already kind of under his control a bit, and then Royce is already, you know, on that side of things, you know, he's already against the wildlings. So that, that might have actually been a more meaningful line than we think, I realize at this point. Okay, so another scene we just haven't talked about at all, a couple of other scenes. Do you have anything more you want to say about the North? Because I think we can move on from it unless you have I'll, I'll think of more. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Okay, so let's go to Old Town. That was awesome. I loved seeing Old Town. It looked so cool. We were really hoping we'd see it. it. There seemed to be a little doubt after Sam stole Heartsbane. We were wondering maybe we wouldn't see it. But we actually knew we would because of trailer spoilers. So we didn't. We, we only said that towards the end of the other episodes. But we, yeah, we, we, we knew it was coming, but we didn't know whether we would actually see Old Town. Because we could see, just we could just see inside the Citadel, start there, and not see the outside of the city. So it was really good to get that shot. The Citadel looked so cool. Oh, man. If you guys didn't catch it... 
the little astrolab at the beginning of the intro was hanging there. Well, in a couple spots, there's a couple of them there. And something Ashea picked out from looking from, she, she kind of noticed it and then looked it up. Each of the little chains that was tied to those books were a specific type of metal. The books were oh. cataloged by the type of chains were like referred because you know oh. the Maester's chains have the different types of metal that refer to the different types of learning. Well, the books were cataloged that way. It's like the Dewey Decimal System of metallics. So I thought that was really neat. That was really really nice touches. It just looked it it reminded. I mean, I I probably not nearly the only one, but when you saw it, did you think Library of Alexandria? Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. Right on. Yeah. In fact, one one of my thoughts was. This place should be better guarded. Like <laughs> there should be firemen just standing on hand at all moments. There should be soldiers at that. The value in there, it might be the most. It's. It might be the most valuable thing in the world of Westeros. It might be. I don't. I don't think that a lot of. I don't think the problem is that most Westeros you wouldn't agree with that. Like yeah. you and I look from the outside, we're like that's knowledge. That's hugely important. We know how important that is. But I think most Westerosi, like they have the attitude of brawn. I suppose like, most people in a real don't read world too don't much. You ruin either. your sword. You ruin your eyes. You know, yeah. reading stuff like that. They just have this attitude. Yeah, most of Westeros is illiterate, so they can't. It's really hard for them to even grasp the concept of how important all that knowledge is. Which is why that guy's. You see why that, which is kind of plays out in that guy, the the guy at the front desk there, who's yeah. by the way a famous Danish comedian apparently, hmm. who is like. Um, just play, he's real snooty because he's probably just like used to like the average person not having you know being kind of Ill, you know illiterate and not well studied you know they don't they're ignorant you know so he just yeah. thinks most of the world is ignorant so he's got a snooty attitude towards anyone who's not one of them and then Sam's like I'm gonna be the new master and he looks at him like you and he's like hmm this is highly irregular <laughs> so yeah I really like that that was pretty cool um, too bad for Gilly she felt bad for her like he's Sam seeing all these amazing things and she's just like yeah I guess I'll just wait here in this huge know, right? empty room with the baby the baby like she's just like uh <laughs> I gotta go to the bathroom <laughs> yeah like where do I go I'll like, go find a corner pee and no one will find it for months <laughs> Yeah, um, it was a little was awkward. Funny. I, I, I want to just in my mind believe that Sam immediately turns around and comes back out to her. Now we'll go back <laughs> and read books later. Uh, but I gotta, she's gotta. I just think it's so weird that she's just standing there waiting, and it makes you just kind of wonder. You'd think there'd be some other people in there waiting too. <laughs> the only person that shows up here that seems like this would be like a tourist site. It'd be like if you went to the. Lincoln Memorial, and you're like the only person there. And then some guy says, no women and children. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's there's maybe not a whole lot to say there. I think it was kind of neat that they have the Archmaester, that, but they don't show him. So that's like, we're, we're going to see who that's going to be. It's going to be cast for next season. Sam's waiting for that. Yeah, what's going to happen? So that's just wide open. Uh, I kind of like that idea. They don't, you know, they, they kind of made that mistake in the past. They showed the three-eyed raven, and then they changed. Then they recast him. You know, it was like they yeah. that, they avoided that awkwardness by just not holding off, casting him. Yeah, yeah. just saying, okay, you can wait in the library while he, you know until he comes to meet you. Like, yeah, I was <clears throat> almost expecting to see him, and then I was like, wait, they're just gonna show him later. They're just gonna hold off on that till next season, aren't they? Yeah, sure enough, that whole scene of him walking, you know, him getting off the cart, walking to the library. Going in, the, in the, you know, meeting with the guy in the front room, probably less than four minutes, the whole thing, you know. Uh, so, and you kind of knew that they wanted to get through it because they just have all these, that's a setup for next season. That whole plot line, wherever it's going to go, hasn't even gotten going yet. Yeah, it's not what I thought was going to happen. Remember I said I thought that Sam was going to go straight to the wall. He said, yeah. 
Gilly, we gotta go. We should be together. Yeah. Also, we can't be together at Old Town. All right. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna take this Valyrian steel sword that can kill zombies. I'm like, all right, he's going to the wall with Gilly. Well, no, it went to Old Town anyway. So yeah, we're really feel like yeah. Randall Tarly knows where he's going. He's not just gonna let his sword go. I feel like I don't know. It's not, I. It's not what I thought was gonna happen, and I, partly because I felt like everything pointed a certain way. So now that that didn't happen, I'm really perplexed. I'm really not sure. Well, how he may this still just like out. take off pretty quickly. He may just like say some things to the maester and then leave. You know, he may just be like. Race. He thinks he's racing against the clock here and just trying to do it as quickly as possible. So Again, I don't, I don't might not so follow I, the geography, but he's like opposite direction. He's well, like no, but Old Town is a port. To the wall. Old Town's a port, so he can sail out. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he Randall doesn't have to go by up. land. Yeah, Old Town is like the second biggest port in all of Westeros. It still feels like he's got a. Feel like he only has a few hours lead. Uh, at, uh, he has more than that. He left in the middle of the night. <coughs> you know, they made. They don't just necessarily wake up and immediately see the sword missing. Right, know? but when they wake up. They've got the best horses, the best cart. They get. They don't have any. They're not sneaking around, scrounging together money. He's like this powerful lord. They just get what he wants when he wants. Yeah, he yeah. Go directly there at top speed, whereas Sam's got to struggle to find transportation. You know. Yep. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe right. he shows up in the next scene. Maybe Randall Tarley walks into the library. <laughs> yeah, it really could Where happen. Where's my sword? <laughs> <laughs> Give me back my sword, damn it! He had it all wrapped up there in that big case. It's pretty cool. So, okay, well, let, we, as, as we said, we will be coming back next week on Monday to miss all the things we didn't talk about, to talk about new things we've, we've figured out, and to, of course, answer your questions. So, we've still got a few minutes left, so Sean, if you have anything else you want to say, we, can, we definitely have time for that, but we're definitely going to be wrapping it up here in a few minutes. So, absolutely, send us your questions. You can send them through email, or you can hold off and wait till we post the event itself, which will, it should be up by the time you see this video, certainly by the time you get to the end of it. So you can post questions directly to the Q&A event, click on the video player, and those questions are a lot more likely to get answered, especially because people will upvote them, and the most upvoted questions are certainly the ones we will be the most likely to focus on. So ask us questions any way you like, but just letting you know, you're a lot more likely to get your question answered if you put it directly in the Q&A event app on Google+, which we will be, like as I said, it will be in the description of this video. So just look down and you'll see it. If you're listening on iTunes or elsewhere, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com history of Westeros, uh, and you'll be able to find it there. So, and some of you will have gotten the invite as well. If you can add us on Google+, you'll get these invites really quickly right away in the future. All right, so that's my spiel for that. All right, I want to point out what the most amazing thing in this episode was. Okay, what's that? Varys stole Littlefinger's teleporter. <laughs> man, he was flying back and forth, right? Now, this, <laughs> this is something that a lot of people pointed out, and, I'm, and I kind of agree, but I kind of don't. Like, I don't, we, we don't have to assume that this is how it went. We can assume that months have passed from that meeting from, uh, from Varys and Ilaria and Olenna. Yeah. Obviously, we know that scene happens pretty soon after Cersei blows everybody up because Elena's already aware of what happened, and so is Ilaria. But after that point, and we see Cersei in the same day crown herself. So that all happens one time. So we're seeing these things at the same time, but... Lots of time could have passed. Months have passed, yeah. I mean, the Tyrell ships and the Martell ships were with were at Slaver's Bay, too. It wasn't just Varys. The whole armada was there. You know, like, they brought ships to pick up Danny's army. So it wasn't just Varys there. It was, it was all these Tyrells and Martells. Oh yeah. This yeah. when you see the Armada sailing, it's mostly Targaryen flags, but you see so Tyrell others, ships yeah. and you see Martell ships <laughs> as well. So they're all there. So we can assume that months have passed. 
or that Danny's scenes are not lined up chronologically what's going on there. Now, I'm not defending the show's chronology in general because there's a lot of times you just cannot explain it. There's no way the chronology works. But frankly, it happens in the books a few times too. It's, it's one of George's few weak points is, is chronology. It's a lot stronger in the books though, that said. There's, the mistakes are a lot smaller and harder to detect, but they are there. In the show, a lot of them are kind of blatant. I'm not so sure this one is, though. The only thing you have to assume, the problem with it. Now, here's the problem with it. If we assume that months have passed, Cersei's just holding on to power, no problem. Jamie hasn't had a reaction yet. So if they don't, yeah. if they start season six, or seven, rather, without addressing that or showing, like, maybe some, this is what's happened the last few months, then it will, wonder, it will be yeah, I was gonna say, I wonder somewhat bad Yeah, I going to say, start with a time jump. Because I feel like they can't... How long can they drag out Sam studying at Old Town? Like, that's, yeah. they can't make that very interesting. He needs to get back, right? Right, so yeah. That's, that's not the kind of TV that they're going to They might jump about. forward. Yeah. Little Sam will be grown up, you know. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. They can get... They, they, I can imagine it. Although, how far can they go? How long is it going to take those ships to sail across? Like, that can't... Well, apparently yeah. pretty quickly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Varus left for King's Landing, for, for Dorne, many, many episodes ago. You know, well, not many episodes, several episodes I ago. I wonder if Danny could land unopposed, if her troops could just land in Dorne. I think so. With acceptance, uh, which might be, which might wonder. Or in the, the Reach. There's one problem, yeah, yeah. There's one problem of uh, the dragons we talked about, you know, how are they going to deal with winter? How is the Dothraki army going to deal with winter? They don't have coats. They're all running around shirtless. What are the horses going to eat? Is there going to be enough grass? You yep. know? Danny but maybe Dorne is far enough south from winter to not be hit For by now, that. I agree. I agree. That's a, that, in the short term, that's not a problem. But I agree that is, as we keep talking about how important winter is. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Like uh, Danny's army in, on paper seems a little <laughs> unstoppable. But winter absolutely is capable is maybe the most potent driving it to a thing halt. that can stop it. Yeah, because like you say, the dragons might have a real problem with cold. The Dothraki will definitely have a problem with cold. Uh, I mean, the northerners are going to have trouble with the cold, and they're used to it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be nasty. Yeah. The worst winter they've seen in a thousand years, etc. By the way, I love how often they throw out that term, a thousand years. It's just like, that's just <laughs> the generic, long ago, a thousand years. We follow the Starks for a thousand years. We've been loyal to the Starks for a thousand years. Three-Eyed Ravens is like, I've been here for a thousand years. You know, like a thousand ships. They just love the number a thousand. Yeah. A thousand is the biggest number in Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> it is the biggest number. <laughs> it's a thousand is the biggest number. They don't go beyond four digits. <laughs> they, don't even, they, they, don't, they don't even go beyond the first of four digits. Yeah. So, anyway, so. I'm gonna, before we go, i got to squeeze one bad joke in. I've got a bad joke, too, so you go ahead. I hope we don't have the same one. We might. I won't say mine if we do. <laughs> Tom, Tom giving new meaning to the word King's Landing. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's, a, that's a better slash worse joke than mine. <laughs> that's, it's, it's funnier. But, uh, you know, oh, you know, also it's like painful. <laughs> that was actually Too probably soon. the most emotional moment for me. Because it's just yeah, like, he's, yeah. just, he's just a little kid. He's just a teenager. Yeah. That's just like, he's, he, he's, he'd be cool to hang out. Other than being taken in by the faith, which is shitty. You know, he's, it's, it's you kind of. You still feel bad for him, you yeah, know, even with that. He's trying to do the right thing. He's about, he's step all about peace. Step. Yeah. He really wanted peace. He His really own was mom, all about peace. like all the people he's looking for support from. He, he was totally in love with Marjorie. You know, he yeah. liked his in-laws, you know, he liked Loras kind of, you know, and he just yeah, it's just horrible. And and the music stopped for that moment and you're just like I I saw it coming right away. We took his crown off. I'm like, "Oh god." And I yelled no at the screen. I was like, no! Yeah, I also said no. Totally, I, yeah. yeah, I just yelled it. And I talked to some friends, like, yep, they yelled no at the screen, too. It was like one of the most, it was one of the worst things in an episode full yeah. of terrible things. Something about that innocence being just, like, falling apart like that, it just really hits, really hits hard. You hate seeing children 
suffer like that, you know, and, and so for someone to kill themselves, it's, you know, their internal, this, this internal suffering has to be just above peak, you know, it's beyond the scale of anything that, that most of us can even comprehend, you know, even if, you know, even I'm sure, you know, there's people out there, maybe some <coughs> listening who have had suicidal thoughts before, maybe worse. So, you know, on some level, what Tom and me were going through, even if the reasons were different, but it's got to be just overwhelming that to the type of things that have to be going on in your head for you to take your own life have got to be just like, wow, it just, most of us have no idea. Just none at all. Uh, which describes how we, a lot of characters are right now. Like no one can understand Cersei's point of view. No one really can. You can yeah. only kind of break it down intellectually, but you can't really know what it's like. Same with John. Dude was dead. <laughs> and now he's like all oh, this responsibility is being put on me like i'm the guy that has to lead us against the this great ancient evil like damn what a Dion too. responsibility you know they featured him as much as anyone and that final scene oh yeah yeah he's looking up yeah you're right Dion was like uh, i feel like they're setting him up uh i, I said this before uh, kind of jokingly about now you know who really has plot armor uh, but, <laughs> but i feel like this episode really did kind of set forth who we're really following here, you know? And I yeah. think Theon, I think John, Sansa, Jamie, Cersei, Arya, Theon, yeah. Danny. Yeah, that's, yeah, those are the main, main people. Yeah, so like, by the way. Bran. Yeah, Bran. And what's next for Arya? That's a big question. Y'all yeah, can, yeah. can make some suggestions and we'll talk about that in our Q&A next week. Well, I don't have any quick answers. I mean, maybe reuniting with John would be wonderful. Like, that, that was her best, basically her best friend among the siblings. And John liked Arya the most for the same reason. They both they kind of got along in a lot of ways. In fact, I don't know if this has been mentioned in the show or not. I forget, but it's the but the mentions in the there's numerous mentions in the book where, out of all of the Ned's children, the one most likely on it is Arya. Like there's a lot of comparisons there. Like Ned thinks of her because of her wanting to fight and her, you know, have being yeah. a bit of a tomboy. Maybe not a bit, <laughs> a quite a tomboy. Lyanna was also that. Um, you could see that, like you saw that in that earlier scene when she comes in riding her horse, you know, and she knows she's giving Willis Hodor advice on fighting, you know, so she knows her stuff. Like that's not a typical noble lady, you know, so yeah. that's, 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 that's the connection there. So, and that could play out with Arya interacting with John, you know, and who John's real mother is, et cetera. That, that, that'll have some thematic resonance, I think. But yeah, but we don't have time for that. We, we're we're going to do like... It, even though it sounds maybe sounds kind of funny to think about that after two hours plus of discussion, we're going to leave y'all wanting more because we haven't discussed everything we can discuss. So we're going to cut it out now, and I'll do. Wait, wait you got to do your bad. Joke. Oh, I didn't do my bad joke. <laughs> the biggest injustice of all in that episode: the girl that was sleeping with Pycelle. He's like, "I'll pay you later." Oh, she's not getting paid. Yeah. Oh, my God. How unfair is that? She'll never collect that debt, you know? <laughs> Damn it. Totally lost in the shuffle, too. No one even, like, hardly anyone caught that. Cavern <laughs> will hook her up. Super. <laughs> I don't know if she wants to be dealing with him. <laughs> anyway, okay, so let's do our let's do our acknowledgments. Thanks, uh, thanks, Sean, for being here. Thanks for being with me all season here. I'm, I'm sure you had a lot of fun, but oh, definitely yeah. appreciate the work. Thanks to our History of Westeros bards for providing the music for the audio versions of our episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud and Google Play. That would be Joey Townsend and Jesse Kowal. Thanks, guys. Thanks to our other behind-the-scenes folks, uh, in particular Ashea, as this one. She'll be on our Wednesday episode as well, but a lot of her insights were came out of my mouth in this episode, but a lot of those were actually hers. So thanks for that. 
And we will see you on Wednesday if you're a book reader. And if not, we'll see you on Monday for our wrap-up. So thanks to First Lord Cash Craig, Hand of the King, Lord of Mines, and Lord of Makers, and the Black Pupil. Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Also Lord John Reed of Castle Woodbridge, the Lord Borealis, the Light of the North and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs and Warden of the South. Also our small council, made up of Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whisperers. Grand Maester Saria of the Barrows, Cinder of the Citadel, smart enough to avoid Kyburn's uh, chambers there. Lord Robert Jacobs is Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws. Lord James Tuttle is Master of Ships. Lords and ladies in their castles include Lady Dyerliz of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Belt is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Cabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light. Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood is Lady of Desert Rose. Jeffrey the Unflinching is Lord of Sand Lake. Lord Greybay is of the Queen City. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Lord Brandon Slate is the Norse Hammer and Harbinger of the Old Gods. Lady Brame is Light of the Winter's Garden and Beacon of the Northwest. Ashland Winter is the Hawk's Eye and Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. Lady Cachon Vallant is of Swine Harbor. Lord Barone of Hillcrest is Lord of the Halls and wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. And Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Donhole. Also thanks to Sir, uh, Sir Troy the Steady, our King's Justice, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Our King's Guard is commanded by Lord Commander Dubbington, the Red Bear. And the History of Westeros Night's Watch is commanded by Lord Commander George the Golden, backed up by First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Greenshield, and First Steward Dolores Roenick Cantrell, wielder of the Valyrian Spoon. All right. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for everybody for sticking with us this season. We know you have a lot of choices for reviews out there. A lot of people talk about Game of Thrones. That's because it's awesome. So hey, nothing wrong with that. But like I said, you have a choice, and you chose us, so we appreciate that. But we're not done yet. Like I said, we'll be back on Monday with one more episode from the show-only perspective, as well as doing a couple more book-related episodes. So watch out for those. We'll see you then. On behalf of everyone on the History of Westeros team, Valar Morgulis, Valar the Winds of Winterus, Valar Season Sixus. It has come to an end. But our reviews have not. Not quite. So we'll see you next time. Adios. <laughs>